judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. Happy December. It is December, and it's our second to last episode of the year. Oh, my God. This is wild. The year, like, flew by, it feels like. It really did. It, but also, there were parts of it that I was like, oh, my gosh, is this ever going to end? <laughs> I feel like there are certain months that are like that. How can it be both? But it is, right? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like October flew by. November was a blink. But, like, August was very long. I don't even remember anything before, hot. like, October at this point, <laughs> to be honest. Like, the semester, the malware attack. Oh, geez, yeah. And then just, like, school, school, school. But that's... Boats, I, boats, I feel boats. Boats, I wish boats, it was boats, boats, boats. boats. <laughs> I need to get a friend with a boat, man. But I feel like most people who have boats are, like, Republicans who don't want to hang out with me, so... <laughs> Any liberals out there have a boat we can hang out on? And they'll be like, hey, me let up. me put you in my canoe. <laughs> exactly. Listen, that's exactly what would happen. Somebody with a kayak in Greenpoint's going to like hit us up. And I'll be like, this is not the boat I was talking about. Oh, my gosh. So last night we had a department like dinner. Um, mm-hmm. uh, some of us from our department got together at my chair's house. And um, we were talking about different stuff. And she's like yeah, you know, so-and-so from the department was like, yeah, we should do like a thing where we go um, up upstate and like do a hike or whatever. And she's like, I'm Ew. black. I don't hike. <laughs> and, and then one of my other colleagues was like, I, I do. <laughs> he's also black. Yeah. So I was like, he's like, because she said something like, I guess that's something that black, some black people do or whatever. And he's like, yep, yes, it yeah. is. We <laughs> are like, not. A monolith. We do all types of things. It's um, true. I hike, but I would never go hiking with coworkers. That's fucking weird. <laughs> like, no. I mean, there's only like six or seven of us, eight maybe at the most. So it's not like a big group, but I don't know. I'm thinking about like the people that I like at work and like I would never go do a task like that. Like, let's go get drinks. Let's go to the movies. Like, Matt, let's go, like, watch me not be able to breathe in a forest Well, it's like a, a whole... Right, and also, if we're going hiking, I feel like that involves an overnight, because we live oh, in absolutely. New York, right? And like, so, like, and you're gonna get, then what? <laughs> and then there's, like, shower situation happening, because you're going to get all sweaty. Now it's, like, a weekend trip, and that feels like a lot. Yeah, it does friends. feel... I don't think it's actually going to happen, but, I like, hope it doesn't, for your sake. It was a funny thing to consider. And for that lady's sake, who like doesn't want to go hiking, maybe she'll go hiking and be like, oh my God, this is so good and change her whole perspective. She, well, she'd rather take us on a trip to like St. Lucia or something. Oh, again, not a work appropriate trip, but I'd, I'd be down. I'd be down and then I'd be like, oh, I don't feel great. Well, and then just like go the, do my own thing. Apparently the Caribbean Studies Conference takes place there. And so we could make it wow. like work related. <laughs> All my work conferences are like, want to go to like Arizona or Zoom? Like we can all sit in an <laughs> office together and watch this thing on Zoom. Like there's no place cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't 
I was like, unless someone's buying my ticket there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the that's the whole point too. That's like that's on the the school's dime. I would need mm-hmm. that to happen. Like I'm not paying for that. Like it can be a work trip and a vacation. One day. Sean's grinding his coffee, so I'm just waiting. Oh. I will have to cut this out. You're so Not fancy. a lot is loud enough to come through, but that is. Coffee grinding. He grinds it like every day, and then he makes mm-hmm. like a cup. Mm-hmm. So fancy. <laughs> so Sean. <laughs> it's like I have decaf cold brew right now. And there's definitely water. mornings where I'm like, oh, I can't fucking wait to have and coffee. And my sticker is like double meaning. Fuck ice. It nice. says fuck ice, right? Did but you get I, a new bottle or did you strip it down? I got a new bottle. Oh, um, nice. In solidarity. Did you get a new bottle because you had stickers? No. Actually, I went for like a month without having the sticker, but um, Sean lost his bottle and oh, so he yeah. got a new one and i was like you know what we should probably both get new ones because we've had these for like a decade a half, yeah. <laughs> um and so i got it and it was like a whole month before i got a sticker and then at comic-con one of my favorite artists had uh a few stickers and i grabbed this one and i put it on it and i take this water bottle to school with me nice. every day fuck ice i have three different size water bottles mostly because i needed space for stickers but like my stickers are like look at that Oh yeah, you got it's like, really like going. You got to get the right kind of stickers, and then yeah. even then, over time, they peel. Yeah, I don't think that that one was meant to be a, a sticker for a water bottle. The other ones are good though. It's yeah. just that one. Oh, and this mm-hmm. Milwaukee one is like kind of gone. Yeah, nothing like a good old Milwaukee sticker. I love it. And that is a recipe for that was a sticker that was on. My sister in law has a baking company. And okay. I ate the cake and was like, this cake is fucking amazing. And instantly put the sticker on the bottle to like remind myself how good it was. Um, <laughs> but now it's the, bad because like, she's too far away and I can't have it as often as I want to. Mm. But it's not meant to be a sticker for that. So it is, it is looking shitty. Well, I am not a professional baker, but I will be making uh, chocolate chip cookies and cherry squares for the open house tomorrow. Ooh. So I will be making not to, so cake not, balls for your open it's tomorrow. Is this tomorrow? I don't even know what time is anymore. <laughs> yes, time tomorrow. is a concept. It's the holidays. Time revolves around, I feel like, deadlines and food. Yes. So, yeah. I, like, that's my thing. Like, for me, it's, like, cake ball season. Like, yes. I make people oh, cake I balls. cake ball season. I did not make extra cake balls this year. I made, like, four events. Okay. That's fair. So, you like, know what? yeah. Cake balls are a lot of effort, though, you said. They are, man. You have to bake a whole cake. And you have to like break it down and then you have to like rebuild it. It feels kind of like Frankenstein. Um, but they're delicious. They are so good. They're just like they're they're time consuming, but like if you do it in different shifts, it's not as time consuming. There's just like cake in your house, and your husband's like, Why can't I eat this cake? And it's like, cause it's not for you. And it's <laughs> an awkward conversation. But yeah, we've got your open house tomorrow, which is mm-hmm. gonna be super fun. We have our scrapbooking open house today. Which is why we're recording super early in the morning. Y'all don't know this, but we got on here at 8 a.m. today. (laughs) Yes. Which is also, and this happens like every other year. She schedules it this way. It's fucking SantaCon. Oh, yeah. And we have to go to like Midtown. So, oof. I saw the like Instagram post reminding me that it was SantaCon today. And I was like, literally, she lives in SantaCon village basically yeah it's gonna i remember the first year i went i was like so mad so i was like trying to get off the train the train was like already i don't take the train there anymore 
but like the train was already like messed up and i'm just like now elbowing my way through people drinking white claws and it was white claw just became like famous so there's these people with like cans of white claw they're like spilling it they're like all drunk it's like 12 in the afternoon and i'm like what the fuck is this like i did not know i knew of santa con but i never right, but you've never been it. in it <laughs> I, like, I got to Deanna's house and I was like, what is going on outside? Like, I was so disgusted Maybe I mad. should come the long way around. Like, take the G to the 7. That's what I was thinking, too. I think that if I... if Because normally I take a cab home from her because it's super cheap. Because, like, where she is, it, like, connects to, like, where I am really quickly. But um, if cabs are really expensive, I might go up and take the 7 to the G. Yeah. If the seven's running. Because every time I've tried to take it on the weekend, it hasn't been. That's so. fair. That's fair. Yeah, because I'm like I'm sure it's gonna be messed up. I'm gonna take the ferry there. I hope there's no Santa's puking off the back of the ferry. Good God! I know, but I always find myself in Midtown on. I don't think a the Santa, Santa Con, Con people don't. I don't think they know about the ferry because they all come from like Long yeah. Island and Jersey. And Jersey. The last time <laughs> I ended up there, so like I did, we didn't have crap. We didn't have crapping. <laughs> we didn't have scrap picking. But I had to get like a a whole bunch of like Christmas things. Like I had to pick up a whole bunch of Christmas presents. So I was in like Midtown Comics. I had to go to magnolia in grand central to pick up an order of like magnolia cupcakes and then i had to go to like essa bagel so like all those things are just like right in like like around grand central and that's when they were mm-hmm. all coming in and i was like oh i've made such a mistake today i made such a mistake it was horrible it was yeah. it, like i had to do three things and it took me like five hours because there were so many people and like crowds i hate but like drunk crowds mm-mm. yeah it's no disgusting stay in brooklyn me. Go to the movies. Do something that is not. Yeah. <laughs> but just we'll so, do it for Deanna today. Yes. They're just, they're so obnoxious. And it's it's always like, it's not people from here. Because I feel like no. New Yorkers, when they're drunk, are like fun and chill. It's like girls from New Jersey who like they've been waiting their whole lives to wear this like really slutty Santa Claus outfit. And like one time this girl was wearing like a bikini. And I was like, it is kind of cold. That's weird. It's kind of cold. Yeah. And like, so girls from Jersey and guys like finance bros from that live in yes. Jersey. The worst combination of people because <laughs> they're both trying to impress each other with like douchery. And it's just, I don't know. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so yeah, if you, you stay in Brooklyn, if you can, or stay in whatever bar you're in, go to a movie. Are there good movies out? Um, you should go see the Renaissance film because that's oh. absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, I was wondering it. about that because that is her concert in a movie form or it's is it more? It's her concert in a movie form, but it's more. It's much more. Beyonce doesn't just do one thing. She's <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. So it's like a whole behind the scenes thing too of like how she set it up. And like, it's so crazy because I, so I was thinking about this, like how we talked about Natalie Wood um, a couple episodes back where like she knew her lighting. She knew all these things about like how to work on a film set because she'd been there her whole life. The same thing with, like, Beyonce. Beyonce's been doing music and stage performances, like, her whole life. So, like, there's this scene where um, she asks, like, this crew of, like, I guess, like, cameramen. She's like, can we get a bigger lens than, like, this this wide-eye lens? And the guy's like, that's the biggest lens that we have, like, all matter-of-factly. And she goes, oh, because I was Googling and I found, like, this 30-foot something-something. And the guy goes, oh, yeah, we can get you that. And I was just like, wow, you just tried to tell Beyonce that she couldn't get this lens. And she was like, guess what? I've done my research and you can. And I was like, I wonder if Jay-Z asked for the lens, if he would have been like, oh yeah, don't worry, I can get it. Like, mm-hmm. it was just kind of like this, he tried to like gaslight the, her. Like she's, she's just like very 
She's very hands-on. She, like, knows her shit. She researches her shit. Like, and that's why her stage performances are so amazing. Like, I was sitting there and I was like, man, I really wish I would have gone to this concert. But, like, it was just, like, a real hassle, like, getting tickets and stuff. I was like, yeah. I can't. Like, it's yeah. Ticketmaster used to be but easy and now it's option. so hard. Yes, right? Like, that's so good. I was like, I, I went to Alamo. They had it where it's, like, this theater is now a dance zone. Like, you can get, like, crazy if you want. But it was, like, 12 in the afternoon on a Saturday. And everybody was, like, super chill. I was like, okay. Everyone's super respectful. We're all just, like, kind of bopping in our seats. Like, the bass was amazing. Her performance, her costumes were so good. I definitely recommend seeing it. I'm, I'm just glad they have those options. And actually, um, mm-hmm. our big rep for today has one of those out, too, right? Yes. So, that's pretty cool. Like, like that's a that's a nice transition you give us there, <laughs> talking about Beyonce. But it, um, you know she's she's really big for us to take on as a as an episode. I think I, she's a dream the episode. We're discussing, yeah, I think so because I found a lot of parallels. So basically, in this episode today, we're going to be talking about American singer, songwriter, pop star, and Time's latest person of the year, Taylor Swift. So we're going to explore how she got her start, her early career, her different albums, her songs, her tours, and how the media reacts to her rise to fame. Then we'll push back against the haters and explore her relationship with her record label, her producer, and big name streaming music providers. Finally, we'll look at the award she has received, the record she has broken, and the inspiration she has provided to other young creatives. So just some trigger warnings for sexual assault. So like I said before, I definitely want to cover Beyonce um, next year because like there were a lot of parallels between the two that I found doing all this research. But today we're talking about Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift was born on December 13th, 1989. And this episode will be out on her birthday. Happy birthday, Taylor Swift. Happy birthday, Taylor. So everyone take a shot for Taylor. Yes. Yeah. I wonder what kind of alcohol she likes. I didn't find that. I'm sure I could. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I guess she drinks. She drinks champagne in her documentary. So have a glass of champagne for all of us if you're out there and you just have champagne in your house because you're fancy. <laughs> have some Prosecco if you're not. Yes. Prosecco's <laughs> kind of fit. Anything with bubbles will do. Soda, seltzer, whatever. Drink it in Taylor's name. Um, so Taylor Chico. was born in Topo Chico. <laughs> I love Topo Chico. <laughs> Um, so Taylor was born in West Reading, Pennsylvania. So that's about like an hour away from Philly. So she lived in Pennsylvania with her parents, Scott and Andrea Swift. Both worked in finance. Her father was a stockbroker and her mother as a mutual fund management executive, marketing executive. That sounds really fancy. I don't don't know. (laughs) That sounds like a job that makes too much money, uh, more money than me to know what it means. It sounds like someone who went to school at Baruch, and I'm just like, okay. Cool. Yeah, right? I'm like, what's a mutual fund? And I was like, I don't want to look it up. <laughs> Taylor and her younger brother, Austin, grew up with their parents uh, on a Christmas tree farm. So, like, straight out of a Hallmark movie. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, before relocating to Wyoming, Pennsylvania. I think that's how we say that town, but sure. there you go. Music had a hold on Swift from a very young age. By the time she was eight, her mother was taking her to New York City for vocal and acting lessons. Yes, acting. Her first passion was musical theater. By the time she was 12, her focus had become just music, specifically country music. She and her mother traveled around so she could perform at local events and festivals. But the goal was Nashville, as it was and still is the 
epicenter of country music. So her family sold their Christmas tree farm in Pennsylvania and moved to Henderson, Tennessee. About a yearish later in 2004, at the age of 14, Swift signed a deal with Sony, making her the youngest artist in Sony history to ever sign. This was exciting and short-lived. Swift and her family felt like the management in Sony wasn't moving quickly enough, and they were worried about wasting valuable career time. Yes, at the age of 14, she was worried about wasting career time. I mean, look, apparently it paid off for her, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Swift was performing at a showcase for new talent when she met Scott Borchetta. Borchetta? Yeah, it kind of sounds like... Like Borchetta? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Scott Borchetta, who was looking for new talent to start his very new record label. Swift was one of Big Machine's first signings. Her first record, called Taylor Swift, was released on October 24, 2006. People loved it. One critic called it honesty, filled with intelligence and idealism. With the exception of three completely self-written songs, the other songs on the album were co-written by Swift and other artists. So we usually wait until the end to talk about like all the firsts and the accolades, but Swift has so many that we're just going to bring them up as they come. Swift became the first female country music artist to write or co-write every track on a U.S. platinum certified debut album. Impressive. Impressive, yes. The album also topped the U.S. Billboard 200 at number five and then spent 157 weeks there, the longest day on the chart by any release in the U.S. in the 2000s decade. That's like, three years yeah right like everyone was just like i guess i'll buy this album i guess i'll buy this album like for three years wow that's awesome Mm -hmm. uh despite the great reviews there were a few issues her record company was like we said super super new like it didn't even have a team to promote the record that was left to swift and you know her mother who would call up and visit local radio stations with the single tim mcgraw I mean, you know, if you're going to name a song after a country song after another country Honestly, artist, there that you go. that feels like such good, like, like the best name dropping. Because if you're a country music fan and you know, you know Tim McGraw, so you're going to sure. listen to a song called Tim McGraw and it's just this girl and you're like, oh, this girl's great. I'm going to buy her album every week for three years. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, the other issue with Swift was a female she's a young woman she was a teenager so what on earth did she know about the world of country music which was and honestly still is very much dominated by men taylor and her mother hit a lot of closed doors so one door that did open was with the singer named kenny chesney um i was gonna say do you know him but i feel like you don't listen to country music because i just know know, but i've heard of the name yeah right so he had taylor swift set to go on tour with him and his tour was sponsored by Bud Light. And Bud Light was like, oh, who's going on tour with you? And he's like, this artist named Taylor Swift. She's like 15. And Bud Light was like, haha, we can't sponsor anybody that young. Like, everybody needs to be over the age of 21 on this tour. So she couldn't go with him. So oh. Kenny Chesney was like, listen, you can't go, but here's a shit ton of money. So he gave her like a check. Taylor says it was a check that was like, she'd never seen so many zeros in her life. She was able to like get a new band, get a new bus, like do all of these things to set herself up for tour. And by the end of 2006, she'd caught the eyes and ears of the band called Rascal Flats. So they I know them her, from the Cars movie. <laughs> oh my God, are they Life is a Highway? Yes. I know them from The Office. <laughs> They're one version of it. They're not the original singers of it, but I like their version. 
That's so funny. I didn't. I knew that, but I didn't know. I think I just needed to connect the the message in my brain. So Vasco Flats were like, "Hey, Swift, life is a highway, and we want you to come on us. Come on it. Come on it with us, Jesus." So she was asked to uh, open for their tour. So they're one of the biggest groups in country music. So they co-signed her. So like that's like the kickoff of her career is going on that tour with them. Yeah. Yep. I mean, honestly, it is about having doors that are open and available to you. Yeah. So between 2007 and 2008, Swift was on the road. She was expanding her career by opening for these huge country artists. She also released more singles from her album, and they were making their way up the Billboard's Hot Country chart. Swift became the youngest person to write solo music and a number one song on the charts. So Swift was always writing, and a lot of that music made its way to the public. One of those songs was Forever and Always, which was written about Joe Jonas of the Jonas Brothers. Swift was always writing, and a lot of that music made its way into the public. Uh, one of those songs was Always and f- was no, Forever and Always, which was written about Joe Jonas of the Jonas Brothers. This was Swift's first song about a breakup and her first celebrity romance. So let's backtrack a little bit, right? According to People Magazine, the two first sparked romance rumors in July 2008, though they denied they were a couple at the time. By November the same year, they were broken up. During an appearance on the Ellen DeGeneres show, Swift opened up about her split from Jonas, noting that he broke up with her in a 25-second phone call. This breakup mostly took place on MySpace, oh, MySpace, and the media... Uh, Swift continued to poke fun at the breakup on her MySpace page, posting a vlog that showed her holding up a Joe Jonas doll. See, this one even comes with a phone so he can break up with other dolls, she joked to the camera. So Joe posted a rebuttal on his MySpace and also wrote a few songs about Taylor. But after a few years, the two were over it and friendly again. But this was the first glimpse of swift the the queen of breakup songs and the media became very invested in her romances and misadventures um i also like to point out that she was 18 and i feel like 18 year olds tend to overshare so people knew way too much about this breakup because of the ages of the people involved yeah that totally makes sense right yeah. like everything is a uh, over a not want to say over exaggerate but like kind of there's a lot of added emphasis on things that like sure those of us in our i was gonna say 20s like either of us were in our 20s (laughs) no but also Uh, i feel like it was the time like you had a myspace platform mm -hmm. that was literally a place for people to come and learn about you so like even i wasn't touring musician with like fans but like i was oversharing on my myspace constantly because you had this audience like Mm -hmm. i definitely think that there's a generation of people i'm included in that like it's just millennials that are like someone's always watching so like i need to like perform a little bit yeah or like See, my I, life is I, for I, everyone. Mi- I had a myspace but i really missed the my mm-hmm. like i was older yeah because i mean i think i was teaching by the time oh. myspace was like i was in no that was facebook college i was in college when facebook started like yeah. when facebook was like you need to have a school you need account. to have a college address yeah so that's when i got to like facebook but myspace was still like around for a little bit instagram didn't like kick off until like i was done almost yeah. done with college yeah, yeah oh i'm so old um well towards the end of 2008 we get swift's second 
studio album, Fearless. It was released on November 11th and featured hit songs like Love Story, You Belong With Me, and 15. Here we see Swift's music getting recognition outside of the country music world. Love Story was her first song that made its way up the pop charts, peaking at number two. And one of the songs that I actually know. Nice. <laughs> the album took her on the first headline tour called The Fearless Tour, and it was successful to the tune of $63 million. I, if, knowing knowing how much like the Eras tour made, like, hold my beer. 63 <laughs> sounds like so much, but like, goddamn, just wait. Just but wait. for her first headlining tour, for definitely, first, right? Huge, yeah. So Swift was slowly becoming a household name, but the events of September 13th, 2009, truly put her on the pop culture radar. You Belong With Me was nominated for Best Female Video at the 2009 MTV Video Music Awards. So Swift and her team showed up. The category was stacked. The others, the, the others up for nomination were Beyonce for Single Ladies, Kelly Clarkson for My Life Would Suck Without You, Lady Gaga for Poker Face, Katy Perry for Hot and Cold, and Pink for So What. What a time. Yeah. <laughs> That's a list. That is yeah, a right. list. Swift was announced as a winner, and this became her first MTV award ever. She was shocked and overjoyed. And so, like, this footage out there all over the place, you know, she mm -hmm. takes the stage to accept the award, and mid-speech is interrupted by the rapper Kanye West. So why is he on stage? Well, to declare that, yes, she won, but Beyonce's video is better, and she shouldn't have won. Everyone was shocked. Taylor was frozen on stage. Beyonce sat in the audience stunned and the crowd began to boo West. I was at home with my jaw on the floor because like I happened to be, I, I was very much an MTV kid. So I was watching and just like, holy crap, who is this poor girl? Did this actually happen? Yes, He it did. just like exploded her life. Like, who is she? And like, I didn't know who she was really. I knew like, I think that one song like vaguely. Mm -hmm. So Later in the night, Beyonce won for a video of the year. She asked Swift to come up on stage so she could give the rest of her speech. When asked about the events that night during a press conference, Swift spoke of it, saying, I was really excited because I just won an award. And then I was really excited because Kanye West was on stage. And then I wasn't so excited anymore after that. I just, I just, like, yeah, that that train of emotions. Yeah. Of like, wait, this is happening? No, what is happening? Oh, shit, that happened. But yeah. I also just want to take a moment to, like, give props to Beyonce for that. Like, that's a really classy right? move and mm -hmm. um, shows that, like, I mean, not that we didn't know, but, like, you know, there's somebody out there who would have said, like, oh, what? That she had nothing to do with Kanye's disaster. Oh, yeah, it wasn't. Of, they weren't in cahoots. Like, Beyonce no. looked as shocked as everyone else. So, like, doing, like, more research I on bet. it. Yeah, because like, she just, like, kind of laughed, but it wasn't like a... Haha, this is hysterical. This is like, haha, this is awkward because not everyone's looking at me. Yeah. But apparently, like, Beyonce spoke to her dad, who was her manager at the time, and her dad went to Taylor's mom and was like, hey, like, can she please come out and, like, do the rest of her speech if Beyonce wins? Like, you know, let her do it then. Yeah, that's so, classy. So they all, like, went and talked to each other. So it wasn't, like, a surprise that Taylor was, was going to come out. It was, like, I mean, they didn't know Beyonce was going to win for a record of the year. Maybe they did. I don't know. But, like, there was a conversation had between, like, both parents who were managers and just like, hey, this is a crazy situation. Um, but your daughter deserved time deserves her time to speak. Like that was her first award. And like Beyonce knows what like that's like, like mm -hmm. getting your first award. Like so Yeah. I, I think it was it was a really solid thing for her to do. Um so I I do remember doing from doing research, Taylor did say that um she was really concerned because she thought the booing was for her. When when people started booing, like they all agreed with her, they all agreed with Kanye, so like that was concerning for her. Oh uh, yeah. But this 
This incident was highly publicized, with Rolling Stone naming it the wildest moment in the history of the VMAs. It was on the cover of newspapers and on the morning news the next day. So, like, if you didn't know who Taylor Swift was on September 13th, you absolutely knew by September 14th. So the VMA incident became a huge subject of controversy and media attention. People who didn't know Swift and her music were starting to take notice. In a way, West was a little bit, we'll give him a little bit uh, credit, uh, but he was responsible for the media blitz. Mm-hmm. So West would later go and take way more credit for her career, uh, but we'll get to that later. All the media outlets wanted to talk to Swift, and she used the opportunity to speak about her album and her upcoming film projects. Yes, Swift was asked to be in the film Valentine's Day. IMDb describes the plot as intertwining couples and singles in Los Angeles break up and make up based on the pressures and expectations of Valentine's Day. <laughs> I said this, yeah, right. This is this is no hate to Taylor, but like I didn't see this film because it looks like one of those weird mashup films that were super popular at the time. Like it was, has this huge, impressive cast and no script. There are ones um, he's just not that into you, and what to expect when you're expecting are like other examples. Like, I see. I always thought of it as like the a sequel to Love Actually, which I hate actually. I've never seen Love Actually, which Good everyone you. always goes, no, they please. gasp about it. I am. But, I wish I could say the same. There's like weird fat shaming that like I've seen. At the very least. Yeah. Like, so I'm like, I don't know if I'm interested. Like no. I, I know that I like people who are in it, but I'm not, no. I'm not invested enough to see no. it. Maybe one day, but then what if I hate it? And then I'm like, hey guys, you want me to watch I Love Actually? It. And guess what? It sucks. I actually, one of my tweets was cited in some like article about like, <laughs> hatred for <laughs> love actually oh wait what was it do you remember it was just like love actually question mark the worst actually it was like <laughs> nothing <laughs> Yeah, it yeah. always comes up in like one of those reels about like fat shaming like there's this one girl that like everyone calls her fat and i was like who who is this and then she's I looked as fat and I was as like, bridget jones was fat yeah <laughs> i was like this woman looks incredibly mid-sized like i don't understand why everybody's so mad she's Probably the prettiest one in the movie. <laughs> uh, well, I'm probably never going to see it. But if you have seen Valentine's Day or He's Just Not That Into You or What to Expect When You're Expecting and you like it, I mean, let me know. Maybe you can change my mind. But these movies are like the worst to me. So yeah. in this movie, it also starred. This is the, the the big impressive cast dump. Jessica Alba, Jessica Biel, uh, Emma Roberts, Julia Roberts, Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Garner, Anne Hathaway, Ashton Kushner, Queen Latifah, and Taylor Lautner. So in the film, Taylor and Taylor Lautner played love interest. The two <laughs> ended up... What? <laughs> I would love it if they, their names were Taylor and Taylor in the movie, too. <laughs> no, but do you know that he married a girl named Taylor? No. <laughs> yes. So he dated a Taylor. They, spoiler, they Taylor should him break up, but he's married to a girl named Taylor. That's so Which funny. is just kind of funny to me that that would happen twice in his life, that he would date yeah. a Taylor. But in the film, the two of them are love interests and they end up dating in the fall of 2009. It was super short lived, but Swift wrote a song about the breakup, allegedly. The song might have been Back to December, which is a really good song if you want to go listen to it. Um, according to Elle magazine, the song implies that she dumped him, but they remain friends. And they, she, he even appeared in a music video of hers a few years later. 2009 was very eventful for Swift. The film and countless awards opened many doors outside of the country world. She even hosted and performed as the musical guest on Saturday Night Live, becoming the first host to write their own opening monologue, which that's 
pretty surprising to me. That is. And then I'm like, well, John Mulaney definitely wrote his, but that was many years later. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so she also began collaborating with different artists and spreading her fan base beyond just country. In 2010, Swift was featured on John Mayer's single, Half of My Heart, and co-wrote Boys Like Girls hit, Two is Better Than One. In August the same year, she released her third studio country album titled Speak Now. Swift wrote the album alone and co-produced every track. That's how you get your money. You gotta, exactly. You got to take ownership of all of that. Yes. And I'm glad she did it early enough. Because we'll get to stuff. One of the songs on that album was about Glee's Corey, and I don't know how to say his last name, and I should. Monmouth? It's not Monmouth. Monteith? 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 I don't know. All right. He has recently, not recently, but he died a couple of years ago. So I do That's remember that, but I don't remember yeah. his last name. So the two of them dated for less than a month, but because writing is truly a part of her, uh, he got a song written about him too. The song was called Mine. It's super sweet. Around this time, she also she was also linked to John Mayer. Now, he was 32 and she was just 20. So this is probably my biggest my biggest red flag is how much I love John Mayer. <laughs> Knowing how problematic he is, to say the least. But I cannot turn it off. I have a playlist on Spotify called But Daddy, I Love Him. And it's just John Mayer songs. He's not <laughs> great. And he's... He's come up many times with women that I am a fan of as being a person who treated them like shit. But I cannot turn it off. That's my red flag. I'm a John Mayer fan. Okay. Well, confessions confessions abound here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, after their breakup, John got a song titled Dear John. And he handled it pretty poorly, right? Like Mayer said, it made me feel terrible. Wow. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Mayor told Rolling Stone in 2012, because I didn't deserve it. I'm pretty good at taking accountability now, and I never did anything to deserve that. It was a really lousy thing for her to do. To Taylor's credit, like I said, John was known for speaking terribly of his exes, specifically Jessica Simpson and Jennifer Aniston in the press. So it seems like she kind of just beat him to the punch, and she did it with the hit song. So That's a double win. Yeah, right. I mean, he writes a lot of songs about love, too. I guess just there's no one investigating who the songs are about. Because mm -hmm. when I tell you, I was just like, hey, who's this song about? There are many, many websites and articles dedicated to figuring out what song is about what person for Taylor Swift. Yeah, that's like yeah. a whole it's It's like a, it's a whole, yeah, it's a subgenre. <laughs> yeah. So um, Swift then started going out with uh, another actor who had like a big age gap uh she started dating jake gyllenhaal allegedly jake reached out to swiss people wanting to meet her because he was a fan of her music the two dated for about three months between her very very busy schedule but were seemingly happy so like how did it end so gyllenhaal allegedly broke up with her via text citing the age difference as a problem i mean here we go again with the text breakups but like yeah right i guess good on you for the I don't know. Mm. I got nothing. Mm. I got nothing. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Insiders said Gyllenhaal was uncomfortable with all the attention that they got. He wanted to keep his private life private. And that's hard to do if you're dating Taylor Swift. So he stopped. Taylor was upset and saddened. And as she had been doing since she was like 12, basically, she put those feelings into song. 
So between 2010 and 2012, Swift toured, won awards, wrote songs about her life and her love life. Speak Now was doing really well. So well that Rolling Stone put it on the 50 best female albums of all time list. Wow. That's super impressive. All time. Right? Of all time. Like... That's really cool. Um, in August of 2012, Swift released her fourth studio album titled Red. This album was still a little bit country, but had a very clear pop and even some rock elements. It was wildly popular. It featured hits like We Are Never Getting Back Together, Begin Again, I Knew You Were Trouble, and 22. We Are Never Getting Back Together became the fastest selling single in digital history. This album was beloved by country fans and pop fans. And when Swift went on tour, they turned out in record numbers. The Red Tour ran from March 2013 to June 2014 and grossed over $150 million, becoming the highest grossing country tour ever. And again, we're more than doubling that first tour. Yeah, right? I feel When you said the Red Tour, I thought of like the Red Wedding. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> In 2013, while doing promos for this tour, she and her team did a meet and greet at a radio station. <clears throat> it was here where Swift met and posed for a photo with station employee David Mueller. Mueller? 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 <laughs> Isn't that the guy's name who does... The hot guy who does the news? The hot guy who does the news. Yeah, like he does like 2020 or something. I, I'm unaware. Of a hot guy who does the news. I just typed 2020 hot guy and that's not it. What is his name? <laughs> Do you get like the People magazine cover? No, it's just like generic pictures of like men. And they probably all look the same, don't they? They do. Yeah, they do. And I'm trying to get to the name. I'm sorry. I've ruined it. What is that guy's name? I don't know. <laughs> It's, I thought it was David Mueller. I guess it's not. But if you, there's someone streaming. They know the hot guy I'm talking about who does the news. This guy, I won't talk about his hotness, but he was kind of a dick. So Swift alleged that during the photograph, Mueller reached under her skirt and grabbed her bare butt. <gasps> the proof was literally in the photo and Taylor took swift action. LOL. So <laughs> David and his girlfriend exited the room like super quickly, like suspiciously quickly. Uh, also, his girlfriend's in this photo too. So men. So Swift goes, she tells her mom who alerted the tour manager and the photographer and members of her security team. Yeah. David was called out and asked to leave the venue. Swift's team also reported the issue to the radio station who started their own investigation into the issue. And they actually found enough evidence to fire him. And that's the end of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. Of course not. In September of 2015, former DJ David Mueller decided to sue Swift for defamation, claiming that her lie cost him everything and she and he was looking to be made whole to the tune of $3 million. Swift countersued for battery and assault, stating, It was not an accident. It was completely intentional and I have never been so sure of anything in my life. So she actually countersued for a dollar because like, she wasn't trying to make money off of this. It was just like you won't make money off of me. Yeah. Got it. So the trial didn't start until like August of 2017. So Swift was just like waiting for her time in court. In court, David tried to explain the picture by saying his hand was touching Swift's skirt after he put his arm around her arm and their arms got crossed. Uh-huh. He said his hand was at her rib cage level and apparently it just went down. Apparently, my arm just like did its own thing. Sure. Yeah. We can link the photo on Instagram. I don't know if we want to do that. I don't know. But you can also Google David 
Taylor Swift photo and it will pop up. It is the very first thing. It is, you cannot directly see because it's not from that angle, but like his hand is on her butt. Absolutely it is. Like it's, I can't believe this guy even brought up a court case. Like the audacity of men because his hand is on her ass. Yeah. Completely. It's clear as day. Like there's no way, there's no way. (laughs) There's no way it was an accident either because it like, when you do like photo ops, like they're quick, but like they're more than one photo. So it's not, his hand's not even like, moving it's right whatever it's it, it he did what he did exactly what she says he did so yeah and in her netflix documentary miss americana swift speaks of the assault and having to go to court she says you walk into a courtroom and then there is this person sitting in a swivel chair staring at you like you did something to him the first thing they say to you in court is why didn't you scream why didn't you react quicker why didn't you stand further away from him she goes on to say there were seven people who saw him do this and we have a photo of it happening. I was so angry. I was angry that I had to be there. I was angry that this happens to women. I was angry that people are paid to antagonize victims. So the jury sided with Swift and David's case was dismissed, but Swift said there was no victory as the case was so dehumanizing. Yeah. Understandably. Yeah. Uh, like we said, the assault happened in 2013, and the suit was brought to trial or was brought up in 2015, but the case didn't happen until 2017. And during this time, Swift was busy working on music, and since her music is directly a reflection from her life, she poured her anger and frustration into her new album. Her album, 1989, was released on October 27th in 2014, selling 1.28 million copies in its first week. That's so many. I just, I can't even I can't fathom even it. Ima- like, like, imagine working at, like, Sam Getty. Was Sam Getty even open at this time? FYE. So <laughs> I think, no, I think people bought things digitally at this point in time. I think things were closing. Maybe. 2014? Yeah. I wouldn't yeah, be I the one to know digitally. that answer. <laughs> So this album was a little bit of a rebirth. Things were different for her. First of all, she moved to New York. She told ABC News, I dreamt about moving to New York. I was obsessed about moving to New York. And then I just did it. She reportedly purchased a $19.9 million penthouse in Manhattan's Tribeca neighborhood. It was her first time living away from her parents, just her and her cats in the big city. How come I never 19- saw her? Oh, she did didn't I? live too far from, How, I, we didn't I, maybe, work there anymore. I was going to say, maybe I'd uh, moved to Park Slope by then. Like the, mm. not living you for did. the audience, think, but for the Barnes and Noble. <laughs> I um, never lived I know in Tribeca. I, <laughs> I think I had just stopped working there. Okay. Yeah. By then. I think I stopped working there in like 2013, but she wasn't far away. Got it. She just was in a direction we would have never walked in, like. Towards the highway. Past the McDonald's. Oh. Like gotcha. up that way. Yeah. We never no. went that way. But that I know exactly where this building is too. Anyway. <laughs> She's in the city with her cats. She's, She's living it up. Rats. Yeah. And ni- uh, not in 1989. The album, 1989, was her first crossover album. There were no country elements here. The record was pop and electric inspired. Okay. So like, well, her other albums had elements of it. This mm-hmm. one was the first full. Yeah. Like, this one was like the first. We're not in pop Tennessee anymore. Yep. Got it. Swift and her record company, Big Machine, also promoted this album differently via lots of endorsement tie-ins and fans-only secret album listening sessions. Leaving out streaming companies, most notably Spotify, the music streaming company that launched in 2008, but um, 
We'll come back to this in a minute, but it definitely came down to principles and money. So with all of Taylor's changes, people were starting to look at her differently. Words like greedy and sellout were starting to be thrown around. Some people called Taylor out for changing her image to appeal to a larger fan base. She was she was no longer a humble country singer with a guitar. Now she lived in New York City and was fighting with streaming services over royalties. Her dating life was also catching up with her. After a few more high-profile relationships with Connor Kennedy, Harry Styles, Calvin Harris, and Tom Hiddleston, she was in a long-term relationship with Joel Alwyn. But the jokes that she was only dating him to get song material didn't let up. The media watched the two waiting for the other shoe to drop. Her relationships were fodder for late-night TV hosts who talked about her dating life plenty. The idea was that she was a slut, or maybe it was that she couldn't keep a man. It, you know, whichever worked best for their shtick that night. Which, like, so her and Joe dated for, like, four years. But could you imagine, like, the fights that that shit must have started? Like, just having to hear people, like, completely talking about your relationship and being like, oh, when you're going to break up with him so you can write a song. Oh, let's just wait for the next album when they break up. Like, putting, like, that kind of timeline or, like, a deadline on someone else's relationship so is gross. so fucked up. Yeah, like, I mean, that just, like, must plague you with insecurities, like, the both of them. Like, I don't know, like, people don't need to be under the microscope that way. It seems really unfair. So Taylor's relationships outside of dating were also being called into question. If you listen to us for a while, you remember our episode on female rivalries. If you don't, we discussed the bad blood between Swift and Katy Perry. So basically, Perry was working with a group of dancers. When her tour was over, they moved to Swift's tour. Perry went on tour again a little bit later and reached out to those dancers. So those dancers were still on Swift's tour. It was wrapping up, but it wasn't done yet. But they left early to tour with Perry. Swift accused Perry of sabotage by stealing her dancers, with Perry accusing Swift of trying to destroy her character. Later, Swift released a song called Bad Blood on her 1989 album. When asked about the song, Swift told Rolling Stone Bad Blood was about a fellow female pop star. People put two and two together and started picking sides. <sighs> anyway, sorry, I just... The media's involvement in that sort of... Like, it's not even it, just involvement. Like, it's they're stirring the pot so yeah. hard. Yeah. Like, it, it's if they didn't, like, I don't think things would be. I don't think we'll get to where we get to if they weren't stirring the pot as hard as they were. Right. In April of 2016, Swift publicly criticized the lyrics of Kanye West's single Famous, in which he sings, I made that bitch famous, in reference to his stage crashing at the 2009 MTV Music Awards, Video Music Awards. When Kanye claimed that he had received Swift's approval for the line, Swift denied this. Enter Kim Kardashian with receipts. Question mark? Mm. <laughs> um, anyway, her receipts were in the form of a video clip of a phone call in which Swift and West are discussing the single over the phone. So this looked bad, and people called Swift a liar or accused her of creating drama for publicity's sake. Kardashian called Swift a snake, which led her fans to spam Swift with the snake emoji. This it's also funny to me now because like now it's coming out, and I just saw this um, a clip from like the Kardashian show where Kim's mom, fuck, I forgot her name, Chris Jenner. Chris Chris Jenner is like, I'm a fan of Taylor and I'm a fan of her mom, and I think that you should call and apologize. And Kim is like. Thank you for your advice, but I won't be taking it. And it's just really funny. Like, her mom is like, you should call and apologize. Like, you should call and speak to her. 
So this sudden turn of public opinion was a lot and Taylor was ready for a break. So she like ghosted the world. She deleted all of her Instagram posts from Facebook, Twitter, everything. Um, Swift, who usually releases an album every two years, was late. That album did not come out. Some fans feared that she was done with the music world altogether, while others hoped that there was something big brewing. The latter was correct. Reputation, released on November 10th, 2017, was Swift's sixth album. And the country twang was gone. This record was a mix of pop, electric dance music with hip-hop vibes. And the lead single was a cannon shot. The lead single, Look What You Made Me Do, was a direct hit at the haters and those who had wronged Swift or just given her a hard time. The song features a line with Swift saying, I'm sorry, the old Taylor can't come to the phone right now. Why? Oh, because she's dead. Swift was telling the world that the old Taylor you used to step all over, she's gone, right? This new Taylor isn't going to take your shit. So the video told a deeper story. Swift had said that part of the premise of the video was rooted in the idea that if everything you wrote about me was true, this is how ridiculous it would look. It featured Taylor on a throne of snakes in a tub filled with diamonds and crashing a luxury car and then posing for the paparazzi. I mean, minus the snakes. You could take a picture of that with me. <laughs> I'll pose on a, a, in a tub of diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> so like watching the video, <clears throat> it kind of felt like a... Like, after reading that, like, that there is the premise of it, it felt like a, like watching Marvel or something and connecting all the dots for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I watched that video, like, I had to stop writing because I watched the video, like, six times. And I was like, am I indoctrinated? I get it. Like, I get it now. Like, I absolutely get why her fans are the way that they are. Like, it's... I love she that She gives you so reading. much. Yeah. That close reading of, like, songs yeah. and videos and that sort of thing. It's amazing. There's like so much. So this video has very, very clear takes, but also so many Easter eggs. Uh, the snakes pouring the tea was clearly a reference to Kim Kardashian and the, the Kanye Carfuffle. Um, she's surrounded by a manufactured, in quotes, squad. Uh, in the past, the media has called her out for only hanging out with thin, beautiful people who she called her squad. I feel like she runs into a lot of actresses and models. So that's who she hangs out with. Yeah. It seems dumb to be like, well, All and then the squad flip is happens yeah. when she does like open it up and tries to be inclusive, it comes across as pandering and people criticize her Absolutely. for that. Yeah, so we'll get can't there, win. But yeah, <laughs> exactly. So in one scene, she's seen breaking into a vault at Streaming Co. And robbing them of all their cash, linking back to the issues that Swift has had with Spotify. So I could go on and on because this video fucking slaps and it sent a message. Taylor had a new mature sound and people were very into it because the record sold 4.5 million copies worldwide as of 2018. Taylor Swift was changing, and the biggest change was her record company. So Swift's deal with Big Machine had expired, and instead of renewing, she chose to sign with Republic Records, who gave her the right to own her own masters. This is going to be, like, the key to, like, her present success, (laughs) right? Uh, Part of leaving Big Machine was the way they handled the sale of her masters. So you're thinking, okay, I've heard about this, but like, what is a master and why does it matter? So a master recording is the original recording of a song. And as an artist, owning your master recordings gives you the legal rights to freely control your music. You want to put it in an Ikea ad? Go for it. That's your choice, right? You want to let someone remix it or sample it? That's your call. Any money that is made with the use of this song is yours. 
I feel like there's a good example uh, from the past. At some point, the Beatles masters were up for like auction and Michael Jackson bought them. Like he outbid the Paul remaining McCartney. Beatles because he <laughs> yeah. had Paul McCartney yeah, to like buy these. And he put, there was a time where there was Beatles songs in everything. Like there were Apple ads, there were like guest ads, there were Beatles songs everywhere. And like it did a lot for the Beatles kind of because it gave it made them a little bit more popular to a new generation. But it also made Michael Jackson a shit ton of money because yeah. he was allowed to do that. And Paul it had McCartney, John Lennon wrote, like rolling in his grave. Probably. Yeah, because he would have never wanted to use his stuff for like the capitalistic way that it was being used. Mm-hmm. But because the Beatles didn't own their own masters, they didn't have a say in it. So mm-hmm. there are people who are like, oh, Taylor was dumb and should have signed a better deal. The Beatles didn't even own their own masters. Yeah. Like, let alone a 15 year old girl. <laughs> exactly. So, like, it's really easy to like be like, you should do better with your contracts. But, like, I feel like a lot of the time the record industry is like, hey, how can we make this deal way more lucrative for us and give you as little as possible? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that people think about that. People just think that people make stupid deals because they're like eager to be famous. But, like, that's not the case. It it just doesn't happen that way. Like, I feel like a lot of these record companies are not ethical. And you have to, like, fight with them to make it such. So, like, this thing with the Masters could have happened to anyone. We talked about Lauryn Hill. She can't even really sing her own music anymore. She can only sing the lyrics. That's why all the the backtracking is different when you see her live. Have you watched Poker Face? No. No. It's oh, the show with yeah, the, the show. No, I, I want to. It's on my list. Okay, so we just watched it. That was our, like, one thing to, like, use with our month of Peacock <laughs> that we had. <laughs> um, and there's an episode in there where, um, I mean, I don't want to spoil it or anything, but it was, what is her name? Chloe Sevigny? Yeah. Sevigny? Seven? Seven, like seven yay okay yeah right. i'm getting <laughs> i'm getting schooled on the pronunciation over here it's like no it's this way all right um, did he say it differently than i did no but oh. you were both saying at the same time so okay. it was like hard to <laughs> yes anyway go. she is in a band that like is like a metal band or something and they're they had a they're like a one-hit wonder type group mm-hmm. um and they're trying to find the next big song but like apparently the drummer wrote the song and the drummer is no longer in the band and so the drummer makes all the money off of that song and everywhere they go they they're like requested to play that song because that's the one everyone knows Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um i mean it leads to since you haven't seen the show but like the premise of the show is she can kind of read people telling truths and lies the main Mm. character so she can tell when they're lying about different things anyway it's a it's a funny show. Once you I get. once you realize not to take it too seriously, like at first I was like, okay, this is like a serious drama. And then once you realize it's kind of goofy, it yeah. it becomes much like more enjoyable. I feel everything Natasha, Natasha Leone, I think that's her last name. I think everything she does is a little bit of a, a little goof element. Yeah, but at the same time, like also like moderately dark, but not mm. dark in a serious way. I don't okay. know. Anyway. We enjoyed it. Uh, it was fun. It's not like top 10 out. shows, but yeah. I will watch it. She's just now like really overwhelming me in her Old Navy ads. Oh, there's even... so many ads. And I'm like, Natasha, relax. Listen, she got to pay the bills too. <laughs> she does have to pay the bills. She has to pay anyway. the bills. So in the contract that Swift had with Big Machine, they own the masters and can sell them as they please. Big Machine was run by Scott, how do we say his last name? Porchetta? Yeah. Porchetta? 
like pork. Yeah. Anyway, it was run by Scott Borchetta. And in June of 2019, Scott sold the whole company to a man named Scooter Braun. Huh? Better name, right? No, it's not. These names are ridiculous. Uh, he sold it to Scooter Braun for $330 million. Jesus, that's so much money. Mm-hmm. So Scooter is an entrepreneur and a music executive and now the owner of all of Taylor Swift's masters, music videos, artwork, and everything copyrighted by Big Machine. Those include her first six studio albums. So Swift claims that she tried to buy the masters back from Scott prior to this, but all the deals fell apart or didn't include everything. She tried to make a deal with Scooter, but the same thing happened. But this time, he was blocking her from using her own music. She wanted to feature a few songs in her documentary, Miss Americana, and was denied. However, Scooter and his team release some previously unreleased work without telling Swift or even asking for her permission. The last straw for Swift was when she claimed that Borchetta and Brown told her that she wasn't allowed to perform any music from her first six albums during her American Music Awards performance. Swift took to Twitter and Tumblr to tell her side of the story and fan- and ask fans to reach out to other artists that work with Braun in hopes that they could help her get permission to play her songs. And I love this, right? On July mm-hmm. 13th, 2019, Kelly Clarkson of American Idol fame. Well, yeah. Um, yeah of, of what other fame? Like, Wayfair commercials fame? <laughs> She's got a like, show. I like Kelly she Clarkson, does a talk but, show now, doesn't she? Yeah, but it. But her biggest thing was winning. She's the first person to win yeah, American that's Idol. True. That's true. I mean, who won it in 2015? Like American Idol is still on, and I don't know who's won at all in the last <laughs> couple of years. But like, she was the first person. I think that's huge. Yes, that is okay. Well, so she she tweeted the following at Taylor at Taylor Swift 13. Just a thought: you should go in and re-record all the songs that you don't own the masters on exactly how you did them, but put brand new art and some kind of incentive so fans will no longer buy the old versions. I'd buy all of the new versions just to prove a point. Great idea, Kelly Clarkson. Right. <laughs> and the rest is history, Taylor's version. She released her seventh <laughs> she released her seventh studio album, Lover, in 2019. And during the pandemic, Swift released two surprise albums, Folklore on July 24th and Evermore on December 11th, 2020. And then she started to get to work on re-recording her albums. Fearless, Taylor's version, and Red, Taylor's version, were both released in 2021, one in April and the other in November. Both release peaked at number one on the Billboard 200. During the re-recording, she was able to update songs. One was All Too Well, which became a 10-minute version of its original song. Swift also created a short film to go with the song, because why not with the visuals? Yeah. Right? I love I I love pairing the visuals with the songs. Like, that's one mm-hmm. thing I miss... I did actually enjoy watching things on like MTV or VH1. I mean, I wasn't big, big on it, but like, yeah. And one of my favorite shows was pop up video. Oh, I loved pop up video (laughs) because it gave you all the information, like behind the scenes stuff. I loved pop up video. Mm -hmm. They should bring that back. I like forget that music videos exist until like when I go get like my hair done, my hair just will put on like YouTube sometimes. And it'll just like pull up songs and then there'll be music videos. And I was like, there's a video for this. Like, yeah, it's a shame that that got lost. Yeah, it's all on YouTube. Like you and Vimeo or whatever, like you can watch it, but like it's not not as easily accessible. Yeah. I mean, like MTV, just like that's how I would watch. That's how I found new music. Like I would watch VH1 in the morning and there would be pop up videos and then there would be like their brand new stuff. That's how I discovered John Mayer, Amy Winehouse, 
Lily Allen. That's how I discovered like the people I listened to the most was like getting ready for school in the morning and watching VH1. Mm-hmm. I don't know what kids do now. Just TikTok, I guess. Probably. As Swift was re-recording her older music, she was also recording and re-releasing new music. No, not re-releasing. How can you re-release something that's new? That's ridiculous. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, I wrote releasing. You did. You wrote oh, the right okay. thing. <laughs> I was like, me. I've been fucking up. That's just me. Uh, I'm not going to, I'm just going to leave that in there. Okay. Her 10th studio record, Midnight's, was released on October 21st, 2022. After so much recording and press, Swift decided to chill out and take a little hiatus. Psych! Actually, she decided to pay homage to her music and how far she's come by going on tour. And so the era's tour was born. It was named this because, as Swift describes it, it was a journey through all of her musical eras. So it was a journey indeed. The massive tour is now set to cover 151 shows all over the world. Swift started in March and ended in August of this year as of 2023, performing 56 stadiums across 20 U.S. cities and Mexico City. She has a whole international leg set uh, to start early in 2024. As for the re-recording, Swift recorded six albums during her time with Big Machine, so that means that there are two more to go. Taylor Swift, that came out in 2006, and Reputation, that came out in 2017. So what's Swift up to now? Well, she's touring, and she's dating football player Travis Kelsey, and we hope making more music. So some people think that after Taylor is done re-releasing all of her old albums, she's not going to release any more music. That seems very silly, but okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, the truth is that we don't know, but it does seem quite unlikely. You know, music and writing has been her life and her passion, and we don't see her giving that up anytime soon. But whatever the next chapter holds, may it be completely Taylor's version. Yeah, let's talk about the truth beyond the big reputation. And, you know, also, shout out to Taylor for like, a little inspiration in naming our podcast back in 2021. Like she part of it, right? Yeah. Maybe. No, I, I was really streaming that song quite a bit, but I was thinking more like a bad reputation. Yeah. By Joan Jett. Yes. Okay. And then I was like, Oh, it works on two levels. So I remember telling people, Oh, our podcast is called big reputation. And they were like, Oh, like Taylor Swift. And I was like, Oh, yeah, I think that that might have been. Um, we'll so get to more it. like people picked up on that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. But it might have been um, crypto crypto amnesia. Maybe. 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 Yeah. That episode of Poker Face also deals with that concept. Crypto amnesia. Well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it'll make sense in like five seconds, people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you know, going sort of digging into this truth, the first thing is this idea that Taylor Swift is a thief. Right. So this is a thing that's out there in the world. People say, yeah. Um, So we'll give you a little background and then we'll we'll break it down for you. In 2017, a legal case was brought to the world's attention. Musicians Sean Hall and Nathan Butler, who wrote the song Play is Gonna Play by 3LW, claimed that Taylor's song Shake It Off had copied lyrically from their song. So the phrase in question was play is gonna play and haters they're gonna hate. Ballers, they're going to ball. Shot callers, they're going to call. Versus Swift's, because the player's going to play, 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 and the hater's going to hate, 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 hate. Baby, I'm just going to shake, 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 shake. Shake it off. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Uh, That's another one I actually know, but I mostly know that from Hillywood's parody version of it with the angels and the demons. 
they did like a supernatural parody of that song. Oh, that's funny. It, it's really good because they they go like beat by beat through the music video, but like mm-hmm. interspersed with scenes that they recreate from an episode supernatural. of Supernatural. So that's funny. it's very artistically well done. Anyway, you should also check it out. Uh, Taylor's team responded to this accusation saying that the lyrics to Shake It Off were written entirely by Swift and also Swift stated that she had never heard of 3LW. So there's a little shade there maybe. It felt like it. (laughs) Uh, The media and 3LW fans called Bull. Play is Gonna Play was on TRL aggressively which Taylor had claimed to have grown up watching. However, in her court filing, she claimed that the only concerts I went to were for country and folk rock singers. My parents limited what I could watch and listen to and did not permit me to watch TRL until I was about 13 years old. So her team went on to say that players going to play and haters going to hate were common phrases uttered countless times by others, including her classmates when she attended school in Pennsylvania and Tennessee. In the documentary, Taking on Taylor Swift, the play is going to play writers Sean and Nathan stated that they didn't originally want to sue. They wanted a meeting with Swift and her team. They note that Taylor has been such a champion of songwriters, so they didn't think it would come to this. So the case made its way from court to being dismissed to that dismissal being overturned and the suit being reinstated by an appeals court. The two men took to the court once more as a federal judge dismissed the case with prejudice, which means it couldn't be refiled. A trial for the case had been scheduled to begin January in January of 2023. So this was like a really weird term. Mm-hmm. If the matter had been legally settled, then there would have been like some privately agreed upon amount. But with it being dropped, we can assume that Sean and Nathan gave up the fight or maybe there was like a secret deal made. But we will literally never know. Yeah. In taking on Taylor Swift, lawyers and music makers weigh in on how all of this happened. Some allege that things might have been very different if the plaintiffs, Sean Hall and Nathan Butler, were a different race. Ooh. Yeah. Music journalist Domiti Pongo says mainstream artists like a Taylor Swift have the agency to take a little bit of black culture, use it at her disposal, remix it and wash their hands of it and say, I don't know where this came from. He goes on to point out that it might not even be purposeful or maliciously done, but it does happen. I, I agree with him on that. So Sean, Sean Hall says the difference between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation is credit. If you like something, pay for it. This could be the case of Swift hearing something, liking it, and not thinking it was culturally relevant enough to have to pay for. Other examples of this would include Justin Timberlake's literal whole career after NSYNC <laughs> and Miley Cyrus. So Miley Cyrus' album Bangers is a perfect, exa- perfect, perfect example of this. She tries on the black culture via slang and twerking, and she takes it off on her next album where she rediscovers her country roots. I'll be the first one to say that Bangers is a fun and a fantastic album. What she's doing is super clear, but I listen to that album on the regular. I still think it's very good, but you can see that she's trying on a different culture Mm -hmm. and then just like taking it off. But I think the whole conversation is like, is that okay to happen? I'm not saying that that's what happened with Taylor. I'm thinking that she picked up on the line, used it. And then when we got called out on it, it was like, well, everyone uses it. So it doesn't matter. Right. It's a weird line, right? It's definitely a weird line because it's like, to what extent can you copyright Mm -hmm a sentence yes yeah or a phrase right and so yeah it it becomes this 
really great area. It's mm. mm-hmm. anyway. Others make the case for cryptomnesia. And this is what you just mentioned before. Mm-hmm. It's basically unconscious or subconscious plagiarism. You hear something so often that you forget, then something comes to you and it's very similar. So an example of this would be George Harrison's hit song, My Sweet Lord. The song was in the same tune as the 1964 song, He's So Fine by the Chiffons. Harrison didn't fight the case in that situation and the term cryptomnesia became popular when talking about copyright infringement. So at the end of the day, we could say that Swift has very deep pockets and could have made things right and chose not to. Or we can say that if Sean and Nathan had won that lawsuit, it would have opened the door to many others having a case that would change the way that songwriting is done completely. Or it's a simple coincidence. But what we will say is that this wasn't the last time that Swift would be accused of stealing someone else's ideas. So Teresa Ladart sued Swift last year, 2022, claiming that a number of creative elements from her 2010 book, also called Lover, you can't copyright book titles, uh, were copied into Swift's books. Now, that part could be challenged. But in a motion filed in the Tennessee federal court, Ladart's lawyer said she would permanently drop the case. Again. Like, part of me is like, suspicious that all these cases just get like yeah i mean i don't know i i don't know what those uh creative elements are and how much they parallel and who brought them to like there's a lot of gray area i feel like being a creative person in a creative world like you're gonna see elements everywhere Mm -hmm. and also like i'm sure smith has a team of people who bring her things you know so like I don't think that it's all I don't think that Taylor's a thief by any means, but like these are things that have come up. So like that's what we're discussing them. Um, another thing that came up was uh, during the 2019 Billboard Music Awards, Swift opened up her live performance of Me with a drum line that was very similar to Beyonce's Homecoming, which had also included a drum line. Innocent, maybe, but like way too soon after Beyonce's documentary was released. Mm. So people are like, this is giving me bring it on vibes. However, Taylor, like we said, Taylor doesn't work alone. Like someone could have brought her idea. She goes, she loves it. She builds on it from there. I definitely don't feel comfortable flat out calling her a thief. I feel like maybe her team could have handled certain situations better. Like the 3LW thing, I think she could have handled better. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that she's a thief by any means. Well, no. And my question is like, I, I don't know the live performance of me. Had she established the idea of using this drumline before the documentary was released but it just happened to coincide like there's all of that so like i remember this with a a show that i was watching it was like a mini web series or whatever Mm -hmm. um what's his name alan tudyk did it and he called it con man and it was about a guy who goes to conventions and like is an actor at a convention. Yeah. Right. I, I I saw this. I mean, I didn't see it, but I knew of this. Yeah. So, but at the same time, these two guys from supernatural, um, Rob Benedict and rich spate, um, they had been talking about, uh, creating a show with a sort of similar vibe, but like they weren't in -hmm. conversation with Alan Tudyk and they had kind of designed it when they were like calling it con men. But okay. then Con Man came out and they were like, oh shit, <laughs> like we can't do this because that was our it's, thing. it's yeah. too close. And like they even do an episode on how that whole bit happened and how they had to mm-hmm. change it. So they became kings of Con 
instead to make it different enough. But they're like, what are the odds that like we were making the same like trying to tell us such a similar story. Right? I feel like it happens more than you would think. Well, exactly. I feel like with, with the things with Taylor, specifically the Beyonce thing and the Theo W thing is it kind of comes down to like a different culture where it's like uh-huh. in, in the world of like Taylor being this country singer who like wasn't allowed to watch TRL allegedly in the world of like her culture, would she feel comfortable saying players gonna play, haters gonna hate? Yes. As someone would in like the black culture where that is from. Like and the drumline thing, like that's a really big thing at like HBCUs. So like it yeah. kind of feels like I can see why someone would make the leap of like, oh well she stole this from this culture. Yeah. But then the idea is like, can you steal something from a culture that way when it's like a creative element in music or in a performance? Is it borrowing it? Is is it like what um, the writer of 3OW said? Like the difference between like appreciation and appropriation is like just paying someone for their ideas. Like does she think that she doesn't have to pay for it because the culture it's coming from? Like all of that seems like really insidious, right? But like I don't think that – one, I don't think that it's, it's that deep. Mm-hmm. But there's not a clear answer. So you can sit here and, you know – yeah fantasize for days that Taylor's just stealing things from black people because she can, because no one will complain. But like, that's probably not the case either, but because you don't have a clear answer, like there's just, Mm -hmm. there's, there's room to like make up what you want. Yeah. Well, (laughs) there's another, there's another piece of this, right? So, you know, we could talk about Taylor Swift. Is she a thief? Is she not? But Mm. we could also talk about if she's greedy. Yeah. Um, And, and in this part, we're going to talk a little bit more about Swift versus the streamers. So remember, we mentioned Spotify earlier on and the issue that Swift took with them and their lack of payment. Uh, some would say that Swift was standing up for the rights of artists everywhere. And others are out there calling her greedy. Now, those mm-hmm. people who are calling her greedy have no idea how little the streamers paid or at least didn't at that time. I think people are a little yeah. more aware of how little people get paid for that, but um, that was my it biggest was still pretty beef new with at the time, too. Yeah. yeah, like, I didn't listen to Spotify at all until maybe, like, this year. So, like, my question, because we've had this, I feel like we've like gently butt heads about Spotify. Because for me as the consumer, my former alternative to getting music was illegally downloading it completely. Or when I had an iPhone, I had to buy every single fucking album. And I spent so much money and it would be things that like, okay, I bought this album and I don't really vibe with it, but now I own it. And then it was like, well, instead of doing that, I'm just going to like download it. And then if I like it, I'll buy it. But with Spotify, I pay like the premium membership. I get to listen to whatever I want. I buy concerts, like, I I mean, I buy concerts, I buy tickets to concerts, I buy, like, vinyl, like, I buy things. So I feel like I'm doing my part, and if Spotify is not paying someone what they should be paying them, I still want access to their music, and I'm paying for it. Well, I think that's one of the problems with the music industry today in general and the distribution of music is that we don't have this physical format any longer that is, is mainstream, right? So before, if you bought an album and you didn't like it, you could pass it on to someone else or you could, whatever you Mm -hmm. had this, this physical copy that you could like do whatever with at that point. Right. But now because everything is digital and everything is instant access and there's not a physical tangible piece of evidence that kind of corresponds with it, it doesn't 
like we don't feel that same sense of ownership over the things that we buy. And so, mm-hmm. and, and for good reason, some of these places are like taking things away that you've bought. Like Disney has exactly. done that, right? Yeah. A- Apple did do that with a lot of things that I bought. All of a sudden it was like, oh, this is not like we don't have the copyright or something anymore. And it's like, yeah, but I, I purchased that. Right. So, like, what right. Do you mean? So yeah. it becomes uh, a lot grayer. Right. But um, for me personally, I, and again, I'm not a big music consumer to begin with. Okay. So that is a piece of it. But, it's it's like, um, oh, I can buy cheaper things at Walmart, but I'm not going to because mm-hmm. I don't believe in the ethics of their company and the way they treat workers and employees and Fair. so on. So that's how I see it with Spotify. Now, that being said, I understand that in 2023, it is one of the few like legal ways that you can consume yeah, music and especially without new music. purchasing physical albums. Yeah, um, but you you know if you do like the album itself, being able to purchase that digital album should be the the next the next step, right? Like if you treat, I don't even like this idea, but uh, because it it doesn't like the amount that people would have to pay for royalties to use things on the radio is way different than uh, mm-hmm. with something like Spotify. But like we would listen to the radio and decide, oh, I like this song. Let me buy this album. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's how it used to be done. Yeah. And and the radio does still exist. But I, I think that people have a lot less access. Like I don't have access to the I mean, I guess I could. I would have to do way more. To I listen to, to the like, radio, radio when station. I drove a car. I don't drive yeah, exactly. a car I anymore. Yeah. I, I can't listen to the radio on like the subway. It's, it's yeah. not a, yeah, a thing. Yeah. Right. So it, it it I think that's one of my like personal I'm going to stand up and do this. But at the same time, I understand that like it's better than just pirating the music. It's barely better, but it is better. So it's, it's yeah. And you know, if you're paying like that does help, but Mm -hmm. unfortunately for most artists, it really only helps Spotify or the big name artists. Right. Yeah. Like, cause if, if those of you aren't familiar, if you go out there, you get like, are we talking about this? Are we giving numbers out there? I forget if you included numbers in here, but it's like you got to have like 3 million plays to make oh, like no, $1,000 like or something, no. right? Like it's 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 absurd for mm-hmm. like people coming into the industry. But anyway, yeah. we've we've gone on a tangent about that. Let's actually talk about the specific mm-hmm. the specifics the of issue this that situation. Swift had. Yeah. yeah. So according to the site Music Business Worldwide, Swift said, the landscape of the music industry itself is changing so quickly that everything new, like Spotify, all feels to me a bit like a grand experiment. And I'm not willing to contribute my life's work to an experiment that I don't feel fairly compensates the writers, producers, artists, and creators of this music. I just don't agree with perpetuating the perception that music has no value and should be free. Swift followed up that statement by pulling her entire catalog from Spotify as an act of protest against the service's ad-funded, quote, free tier. Her issue was that artists couldn't choose to only release their music on Spotify's paid-for premium offering, basically meaning that they would make very little money while advertisers made money instead of their, like, them for their work. Swift and her label thought, why give the music to Spotify for pennies when it could make them more money elsewhere? 
So, like, this makes sense to me because, like, music isn't free and shouldn't be free. People who work hard should, like, get paid. So not everybody thought that way. According to Nora Harvey of Greyhound, this was a money grab. In her article, Harvey states, this is where the greed comes in. Taylor Swift herself is worth $200 million, according to Forbes, at only 24 years old. And the label could make just as much from the sale on the table. And yet they chose to remove her music to earn possibly even more money from the sale. This has received mixed up mixed opinions from critics and fans, some praising the bold move while others pointing out the inconsistencies. Harvey goes on to point out those inconsistencies, saying one of them was that the music was solely removed from Spotify, not other online streamers like Beats or Radio. Is it radio if there's no A? Sure. You still would say radio, right? Yeah. Most believe this was because of the immense traffic Spotify gets, and by removing it from the service, the music is considered scarce, making it more valuable to others. So I would say, like, it's, yeah, maybe that's an issue on those other platforms, but, like, I'm sorry, I haven't heard of those platforms. True. Right? And and so if you're going to make a statement... You do it with the big one in charge. It makes, I mean... And, and it wasn't only Spotify, right? It wasn't, no. So she also called out Apple. When they introduced their streaming service, they announced that the first three months would be completely free for the consumer. For the artists, they just figured that they didn't need to pay them anything. Yeah, we're not making money, so you don't. <laughs> yeah. They sent them an email like, hey, we're not making any money. So like you, people are just going to be able to play your stuff. Uh, Swift did what she does best, and she wrote, in June 2015, Swift wrote an open letter calling out Apple Music for withholding royalties to artists during its trial period and stated that she would pull 1989 from the catalog. Literally one day later, Apple changed their mind and announced that they would pay their artists during the free trial period. So Swift was allowed so Swift allowed Apple to stream in 1989. I like that little cause and effect. Like it's like, hey, this is not cool. And Apple was like, yo, we can't fuck around with Swift. Like, this is a big deal. Give her what she wants. Yeah. And it wasn't even just for her. It was for all the other artists, too, because there was a bunch of other people not getting paid, too. That's it. That's Like, literally every artist wasn't getting paid. Spotify was slower to come to the table. But a few years later, Forbes reported that Spotify was adopting a windowing policy, wherein newly released music would be made available only to paid subscribers for two weeks before it was made available to those with a basic unpaid Spotify subscription. The new policy addresses Swift's biggest complaint, and she agreed to have her music back on Spotify. Swift has a song called The Man. Which she, which would hit this argument on the head. It goes, I'm so sick of them coming at me again. Because if I was a man, then I'd be the man. Basically, if a businessman did the same thing that Taylor did, they would be praised for it. There would be no talking of someone being too greedy. You can strive for wealth without being greedy. And she proves that like every day. Mm -hmm. Part of Taylor Swift's success has been her ability to stand up for herself and her value. From negotiating fair pay to calling out sexism and industry double standards, she has shown that women can and should be upfront and assertive in business without sacrificing their integrity or value. If Elon Musk can fail upwards, causing people their jobs and ruining a whole company, running into the ground, and still be considered success and not greedy, then the whole game is fucking rigged. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's there still, but he was for way longer than he should have been. <laughs> oh, you think he's not a he's not a Twitter anymore? Well, no, I mean, I don't think of him as a success. There are people who do. Ugh. There are people who are like, just wait. He's got more to show you. This is not the end game. Look at the Tesla truck that just came out. Nope. The Cybertruck. Like, 
he's a success. There are people who are still on that bandwagon that he he's going to have a second coming. Everything he's doing now no, is building he's towards just, that. He's just a giant dumb bully. He is. But like he is considered a successful businessman. And Taylor was considered greedy. Yeah. For like she was also considered a bully. Yes, she was. You know, and I think this one's kind of amusing too. And only amusing because we can look back on it and go like, what? But mm. the initial claim still falls under that problem that you're talking about and it's gendered, right? Yeah. Taylor, by ending her feud with Spotify, actually intentionally, unintentionally, we talked about it in our feud episode, extended mm. another. Uh, this one was with Katy Perry. Swift brought her music back to Spotify on June 9th, 2017, which happened to be the same day that Katy Perry's fifth album was released. Perry had been building up buzz for months, and just like that, Swift seemingly stole the spotlight with her catalog. Like, call it a coincidence or a sabotage. More than likely, it was just business. Um, I was one of those people who streamed nothing but Taylor that day. I had no clue that Perry even had an album out. Um, I still have never heard it. But all the banner information on Spotify was dedicated completely to Swift. Yeah, but whose choice was that, right? Like, Spotify mm -hmm. could have made space for both artists, but chose not to. That fault shouldn't lie with these women, right? Spotify has never been held accountable, and Swift was the scapegoat in this situation. Mm -hmm. The two ended the feud with a mutual apology and cookies. You can end most arguments with cookies for me absolutely uh in depends on the cookie yeah well how about those uh cardamom chocolate ones <laughs> you need to make more of those for me you're gonna start an argument if you are gonna talk about them and not make more of them for me <laughs> we're in a feud uh-huh uh-huh well in 2019 perry appeared in the video for swift single you need to calm down one dressed as a burger the other as fries stating that the beef was over and today the two are on good terms so the feud with Kanye and Kim wrecked Swift uh, and it was the big reason that she took a big step back from the spotlight. To recap, Swift called out Kanye for some lyrics that she did not co-sign. The lyrics in question that actually came out on the official track, not even the ones in the recording, the lyrics in question edited for me. For all my Southside dudes that know me best, I feel like me and Taylor might still have sex. I made that bitch famous. Taylor's issue, she never approved of being referred to as a bitch in that 2020 video that Kim Kardashian posted of the phone conversation that Wes and Swift were having about the song. Yeah, a longer version of the call, which emerged later, showed Swift didn't approve of all the lyrics, saying, I'll have to think about it. Also, the line calling her a bitch wasn't in the part he asked her to approve. Swift speaks of the issue in the current Time magazine saying, you have a fully manufactured frame job, an illegally recorded phone call, which Kim Kardashian edited and then put out to say to everyone that I was a liar. Make no mistake, my career was taken away from me. She goes on to talk about how it affected her long after the video leaked. That took me down psychologically to a place I've never been before. I moved to a foreign country. I didn't leave a rental house for a year. I was afraid to get on phone calls. I pushed away most people in my life because I didn't trust anyone anymore. Now, we don't like to blame women for things on this podcast, but I think that Kim Kardashian needs to be held accountable for her actions. Her mom has asked her to apologize. <laughs> right? <laughs> and she's ignored. But like she hasn't been held accountable. She put forward this narrative that Swift was a snake and a liar. I remember finding a longer video because like it didn't sit right with me. Like I was like, I feel like 
Taylor Swift wouldn't get caught out here like this telling this huge lie. So like I did like a deeper dive and found that longer video a while ago. And Swift did tweet a bunch of stuff that she like deleted because it was like, it felt like why fight in a room of people who were just calling you a liar and a snake? Like no one was listening. They had made their opinion that like Swift was this bitch and a liar and they made it based on lies that Kim Kardashian told. So like, again, we don't like to blame women, but we do like to hold them accountable. Mm Mm-hmm. And Kim needs to be held accountable. Well, here's another issue that we're going to like push back on. Right. And that is this idea that Swift is too perfect. Right. That's that's an argument that people have. Right. She's too perfect. There are no flaws. She's always on. So I actually had a conversation with a friend who said she's so clean. I just want to see a video of her calling someone a bitch or something. But like, uh, in an opinion, why that but, doesn't need to be right? Like everyone is their own person. Yes. So like I agree, but also I've had I've had the similar thoughts. But doing research and like learning more about her, like I I've changed those thoughts. Which is you do a little bit of research, you change your mind. So there's an opinion piece calling called "Yes, Taylor Swift is fake," and no, it's not harmless or in any way admirable. The author, Leftist Musings, this is a medium piece, so you can kind of like put whatever name you want. Uh, They claim, the thing that is so insidious about Taylor Swift for so many years, until now at least, was the one, was that no one doubted the authenticity of her image because she just seems so genuine. You'll never catch her in a moment of rudeness, open arrogance, or a general bad behavior that would send up a red flag that she's not what she seems. This is precisely what has separated her from other celebrities with carefully cultivated public personalities. There's no reason to doubt her image because no warps in the wood have ever come close to showing themselves. Now, this could be for a few reasons, right? One being that's just who she is. That's just her personality. In her documentary, Miss Americana, Swift opens it by saying, my entire moral code as a kid and now is a need to be thought of as good. She goes on to say that, of course, she isn't perfect, but she wants to be a good girl. Some people don't rock the boat. They just want to be seen in a certain light and they know how to do it. There's also a stage energy that celebrities have, like not everyone around you is your best friend, so you can't just let down your hair. So I was thinking more about this and I think we all know that one person who like doesn't curse, like doesn't do anything like that would be considered rude that is like so polite. And you might be like, like if you're kind of a, I guess I'm kind of like a more gruff person. You're like, ugh, I really wish you would just like let your hair down and like call someone a bitch. Like I get that, but we all know someone like that. So to think that Taylor might not be that person is also an odd thought. But, like, when you watch, like, her documentary and stuff, like, she does relax a little bit. Like, there's some F-bombs. Like, I don't, we're not going to see her doing, like, coke on screen. But, like, she does relax a little bit. <laughs> so, I feel like history has taught us, like, lots of stuff. Like, there's always a group of paparazzi waiting to sell a terrible photo of you on your lowest day. Or an old confidant waiting to sell a book about the one thing that you overshared. So, there is a place for a public version and a private version. And it's done to protect the peace and the privacy of celebrities. Like... Yeah. You don't overshare with just everyone. So like getting mad that like you've never seen Taylor Swift like pick her nose. Of course you haven't because it would be everywhere if you did. Like there's no there's no escaping simple that. thing. Yeah. There's no like simple thing that she can do. It would be a whole nightmare scenario if like she did something like off key. 
So another reason for maintaining a level of what seems to be like perfect could be business related. Women don't often get the best feedback when it comes to voicing an opinion that might go against the crowd. Taylor, as popular as she is, is not free from this. So like back to her documentary, Swift is seen having a conversation about making a public comment about politics and her team is strictly against it. It brings up the perfect example the chicks previously known as the Dixie Chicks. Yeah, so if you don't know who they are, like, here's some backstory, right? They were wildly popular in the late 90s. Um, Goodbye, Earl. It's probably, like, the anthem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they were the biggest country female act at that time. And at a show in London, lead singer Natalie Maines told a crowd that they were, quote, a shame the president of the United States is from Texas, uh, in reference to George W. Bush. She made that remark during the run-up to the U.S. invasion of Iraq. The chicks and many Americans disagreed with the country's plan to invade, but country fans turned on them. Country fans tend to be more right-wing and conservative, the same people who at the time were in favor of the war and in favor of our president. The, D- the Dixie Chicks were blacklisted by many country music stations, received death threats, and were criticized by other country musicians. Shut Up and Sing is a 2006 documentary about the backlash of Getting Political, streaming on Pluto TV and the Roku channel. It's wild, and it gives you really good insight into why Swift wouldn't want to rock the boat, um, because it could literally cost you your fan base. Yeah, like people were burning CDs in the street. People were sending them boxes of shit. Like, it was insane. I I think I want to cover them at some point. Yeah. But it was... It was a real turn and it was because like they spoke their mind about politics and like it should not be that way. So another I think that Swift gets called out on for and something something that I called her out for and was um, not really taking a stand. So again, like I said, like I'm a low key Swift fan. There is room for improvement. Like I think I'm getting the more I listen, the deeper I'm getting in. Um, there are a few albums I've literally never heard of, but there are other ones that I could sing note for note. And my one issue with Swift is that um, she had like a really lack of political standing. Just the whole thing, the whole, the phrase of like, quote unquote, getting political. Like she just didn't do it. There was also a huge lack of diversity in her dancers and her crew and like everything in her group that it bothered me. But after the song, You Need to Calm Down, she was surrounded by blacks and gays and it felt like pandering. And, and you weren't alone, right? Like others felt no. the same thing. The song was upbeat and had a very positive message, but still Swift faced widespread accusations of pandering to the LGBTQIA community during Pride Month. One Twitter user, Neptune Creep. <laughs> I love Twitter names. (laughs) Neptune Creep added, Taylor Swift is queer baiting and needs to learn how to be a better ally. She is exploiting us for profit during Pride Month. She has never spoken out for queer people before this year. She is not an ally. Thanks. In an article called Taylor Swift's new single is a teachable moment about how not to be an ally. Love a good long title. (laughs) Uh, Written by Christina Catarucci. Katarucci says it's not a particularly radical stance for a celebrity to be anti-homophobe in 2019. Yet Swift is promoting you need to calm down like it's going to be the straw that breaks homophobia's back. She goes on to say witnessing a relative newcomer to the LGBTQ allyship have this have this deaf single marketed on Apple Music as a pride-ready anthem with a protest message doused in synths, glitter, and sass is like watching a straight bachelorette party go nuts at a drag show. Straight people will interpret it as supportive and affirming, but for many queer people, celebrating Pride Month 
it feels hopelessly, insultingly out of place. So I felt the same way until I watched her documentary. Like, she literally was not allowed to say or do anything that might cause her core fans to waver. And those core fans being Southern country music lovers with, quote unquote, good Christian values. So what we're seeing is someone who is taking the tiniest of baby steps into a world of voicing their own opinion without the fear, without the fear of losing their career. It might look cringe, but it is progress. And like, I am not a queer person, but I'm a black person. And I saw this from so many of my white friends during like the summer of 2020 with like the Black Lives Matter movement. So many of them who had never been an ally before, never even had to think about being an ally, kind of coming into the world of like, oh, black people think this way and these things are happening and trying to be really supportive, but just being very fucking cringe. And I'm not talking about you, but like, <laughs> it's okay if you, you are, you were not one of them. <laughs> there were, there was a handful of ones who like had already been about that life. So like new, but like coming into a new mindset where you weren't thinking something before and now you're 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 hitting people at a point where it's like, oh, yeah, like I'm queer. I'm black. I've already had this. It's hard. I'm sure it was hard for her. But from the outside, it looked incredibly cringy. Mm-hmm. And it's going to look that way until you find like your place in allyship because you're starting from day one. Like she probably was just reading about like she probably like just watched an episode of Queer Eye. And like, I wonder how many like gays were even like surrounding her, you know, like and then being in a position to like say something about it, like eloquently without doing research like you know like i'm sure that it was really hard and she got made fun of made fun of it for it but like it did look real cringy from the outside but like that's how that's how it works sometimes like Mm -hmm. you fake it until you make it like until you're more confident to be like this is what i meant this is what it should be and like you can stand up and like defend people and she's doing that work now but it did look rough from the start and like again i've seen it with like people that i know who were like Oh, Black Lives Matter. That's a thing. Let's dive into why. Because mm-hmm. they never had to think about it before. It wasn't your problem. It wasn't your issue. No, it's true. Sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And that mm-hmm. is truly like a, an innocently approached learning moment. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it, it doesn't come across as cringe or that it yeah. doesn't sort of make people who have had to live through these experiences go like, for real? Like you, you yeah. just, you had no idea. Right. And, and yeah, I mean, there is some truth to that because people are sheltered in different ways and especially oh, yeah. white people uh, have been very privileged to be sheltered in many of those ways. Mm-hmm. But I will take that cringy moment over her never learning and right. changing. Right. I will, I will watch her dance and glitter and be like, so per gay than her never doing that. Because the next time she does something that's like pro anyone, it's going to be a stronger message because she's going to learn. From They're going to be like, oh, there's consistency here. Exactly. And there has been. So like that's why I'm like, yeah, you got a really rocky start. But like I, I see I see the momentum. I'm exactly. With you. Exactly. I mean, let's talk about a few of those consistent moments. Right. You mm-hmm. know, so she's been in the game since 20 or since 2004 and it wasn't until 2018 that she got political but she did it in in a few different ways right she showed support for march for our lives which was a student-led organization in support of gun control and that same year she endorsed phil uh bredesen for senate and jim cooper for house of representatives she tweeted in the past i've been reluctant to publicly voice my political opinions but due to several events in my life and in the world in the past two years i feel very differently about that now 
She continued, I believe in the fight for LGBTQ rights and that any form of discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender is wrong. I believe that the systemic racism we still see in this country towards people of color is terrifying, sickening, and prevalent. In response, white supremacists responded by feeling betrayed, telling Swift to just stick to music. I mean, That's they probably thought everybody's... that she was all on their side. Yeah. yeah, the shut up and saying, like, uh, shut up and dribble, like that happened with them. Um, God, I forgot what basketball player like said something and they were like, shut up and dribble. Like, yeah. That's the thing. Like, just do the thing that we know you for doing. Don't have an opinion about anything. Trump even said that he liked her music 25 percent less. Just... Which also, do you think that Trump listens to Taylor Swift at all? I feel I gross thinking it. about that. I feel like he doesn't listen to music at all. Like, I feel like he only reads like... Does he read? The Wall Street Journal. Uh, that might be a high. Maybe he has it read to him. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Anyway, moving on. Let's not talk so, about him too much. <laughs> I know. We'll invoke him. Um, in 2019, uh, Swift came out as pro-choice and anti-Trump. It was a very big year for Swift. But that's so we can say growth. it started off cringy. But exactly. Yeah. Like, that's the growth. Like, just wait. Mm-hmm. It's always like a rocky start. But like. Her coming out as pro-choice was probably fucking huge because of where she's from, because of, like, those Southern right. values. and those like, country albums that she first released. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure she... But I, I think it's... So this is a thing that... Uh, a comparison that I made to Beyonce. Beyonce really didn't come out about Black Lives Matter for a really long time or about, like, police brutality for a super long time. And she got so much backlash for it yeah. from 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 white people or from oh. conservative people who listen to her music. And it's crazy that you have to wait until you reach such a level of fame because by the time in 2019 she had Taylor had like ten albums out. No, she maybe had nine albums out, and was selling out concerts. Was notably popular, but that was the only time that she felt comfortable enough to say something because your career could be wiped away from right. you if someone doesn't like what you said, mm-hmm. and that's kind of crazy but like you had to wait until you were wildly successful to stand up in your truth well even for me like i don't have until i get my like it's not tenure but like the equivalent of tenure that i will have like there are things that i'm going to be extra cautious about speaking out about so yeah yeah i think for the both of us because it's like it's like the elephant in the room for me all the time but it's like because we both work for universities like you can't just say things Mm -hmm. Because people will like find a way to be like, to use it oh. against you. Yeah. And then it's like, well, now I have to have a meeting with my boss about something <laughs> that I said on a podcast. And like, that's like an issue. <laughs> like, like, I'm not risking it. So let's let's go back to Taylor. You know, why do they hate her? Well, they just do because they can. Right. Throughout this episode, we've been trying to figure out why Swift is such a triggering figure. And the answer is, I mean not so shockingly simple (laughs) uh it's basically the theme of most of these episodes it's misogyny uh in an article titled why do people hate on singer taylor swift writer meyer peterson says in terms of the men who hate her i would say it's because they can't stand to see a successful woman who knows her worth when a woman knows her worth it's harder for a man to manipulate her and convince her she needs him in her life to be of value She goes on to talk about a lot of men being insecure, which is a direct result of the patriarchy and the belief that men must be the stronger ones in society or in the relationship. However, Taylor inspires women to be strong, secure, and not not to be afraid to ask for what they want. 
More than that, she inspires women to walk away from those situations where their needs are not being met. I feel like I've said it on this podcast whenever we talk about anybody who's been divorced. Like, I feel like it's one of the bravest things that you can do to, like, walk away from a situation that no longer suits you. It's not... It's not giving up with Swift. Like, we can talk about her breakups, which the media will mock her for. But where would she be if she stayed with the first guy that made her feel like shit? Yeah. And, like, when we talk about, like, and I think also, I'm going to speak for, like, this writer. When we talk about, like, the men who hate her, it's not not all men, right? Like, my husband could give a shit. Like, he's like, yeah, she's okay. I don't really listen to her, though. But there are men who are like, Taylor Swift sucks because she's a whore and, like, her music is boring. Like, if a guy has, like, a list for why he hates Taylor Swift, not just indifference, that's a problem. Exactly. Like, that's weird to me. Exactly. Like, you can be like, yeah, she's not my cup of tea or I've never listened. But when you have, like, a list that you've written out of why you hate Taylor Swift, and I feel like there are a lot of dude bros on the internet who have a list or always a complaint about Taylor Swift. And it's like, why do you care so much if you don't care? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Swift also inspires women to be independent and fierce. Uh, and this is a threat to masculinity. Did you know that, Kim? Mm-hmm. It's a I threat. Did. <laughs> I mean, obviously we have our own that. bank accounts now. <laughs> obviously, you know that because we've seen it so many times before. And mm-hmm. uh, one example, someone we haven't covered yet, uh, is Lizzo, right? She inspires people of all sizes to love themselves and demand more from a world that has said that their body isn't desirable. This breed of strong woman who doesn't need weak men means that the men won't be able to take advantage of women as easily as they once could. Because we have bank accounts now. We do. There's not much in them, but we got them. (laughs) There's only uh, 76 or 67 cents on the dollar, depending on your race. (laughs) Yeah, that's fun. Let's talk about wage gap. We don't have enough time. Uh, Peterson argues that women who dislike Swift are dealing with internalized misogyny, saying women are taught not to be like other girls. Young girls are shamed for wearing makeup and expressing their femininity, yet they're also shamed for doing the opposite. If they fit into one category, they're too much like other girls and are used as a pawn to justify a stereotype. On the other hand, if they fit into the second category, they're seen as not woman enough and lazy. So when young girls see that a lot of their peers love Swift, they may hate her for the sole reason that they think they'll be picked and valued more by boys or others if they don't like her. Like a pick-me. A pick me situation. Yeah. No, I get that. And it's like, I read that and I was like, oh, yeah, that's literally all of growing up female mm-hmm. in America. Like, I mean, I'm sure outside of America, too, but it's a lot of that. Like, why are you going to be like those the herd of other girls yeah. over there? I'm not like the like other pink. girls. Exactly. And then you think you're special because you're not. But the guys treat you the same because they suck. That are you listening, whole... teens? <laughs> are you listening, teens? Do we have teens that listen? I don't know. I would if love you're to a know. teen who listens, let us know. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, to the haters, being a Swift fan means that you're a sheep who goes along with anything shiny and catchy. This ignores the years of career, right? Swift is not just a flash in the pan. Her music has spanned generations, making herself a billionaire by the age of 32 to boot. We live in a world... I'm talking about fucking Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I wish we didn't have to, but he's a prime example. He's a great comparison because he's a fucking grifter who is considered a legendary genius by the same dude bros who would call Taylor Swift a whore because she can't keep a man or write a song. But Taylor Swift is boy obsessed. Like all her songs mm-hmm. about her exes, Kim, don't you know? Oh, I do. Right. Speaking of this, like, you know, 
this is one of the other reasons people give for not manufactured reason (laughs) right it's totally manufactured but like yeah you know her songs many of her songs are about exes and you know what good for her you know people especially men will criticize this um you know it's not 100 percent true she does have songs about breaking up with people, but she's also got songs about finding herself, uh, relationships with friends, family. She's even got songs about her cats. Like, mm-hmm. it's not everything is that. Her biggest songs aren't about an ex. They're about the way her exes make her feel. And I think that's an yes. important distinction. Yeah, it definitely is. But none of this is is anything new. Like, she's not the first nor the last to put heartbreak or the joy of an ended relationship into a song. The biggest female artists of our time mostly wrote about love affairs. You got Stevie Nicks, Lady Gaga, Adele, Adele, whose albums got me through. Like, I got dumped the day an Adele album came out, the second one. Holy shit. That album, like, saved my fucking life. Like, it put a lot of things in perspective for me. And it was just like... Well, if Adele can be treated like shit by some like gross dude, and I got treated by shit by some gross dude, we'll all get through this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, Adele's music is a hundred percent like most of it is about breakup, or again, the way the breakup made you feel, and that could even be like, I'm glad not to be with this person anymore right. because I got myself back. So it's not even just I'm so sad. Anyway, so those people don't invoke the same rage that Swift does, which is weird. Beyonce wrote a whole album about being cheated on and taking her husband back and no one called her boy crazy. Do you remember we did that episode of Why Do We Read This Together where we talked about the classic Indian poetry and I think you talked about like Buffy and Angel's relationship. I did a Mm -hmm. comparison to Taylor Swift songs with some of these poems. Yes. Like these were Mm -hmm. poems written in India in like the 10th century that were just as like dramatic and about like angsty love and breakups and together Mm -hmm. and all like this shit is nothing new. It's not even just common. (laughs) You just, you know who made me think of who wrote the great Gatsby. Oh, fuck Scott Fitzgerald. Oh, sorry. Because that book, (laughs) that book Gatsby is a fucking creeper who's obsessed with the woman and spends his whole life like getting rich and like planning parties just to take a glimpse of her. That's creepy. Mm-hmm. Did anybody call him creepy? No, he was a great rich I mean, man who did great things. I think they do now. If 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 the if the, now, te- if the teacher is teaching that book right, I think they do now. <laughs> or if I've gotten on enough soapboxes in front of people to talk about how creepy the fucking Great Gatsby is. Um, well, and what a nerd. Speaking about men in these positions, like in music, it's still a thing too, right? You know, you have the Beatles who probably have, like, I mean. I don't know if it's the most, but like up there as the most songs about women and love, like, um, you know, Michelle, Dear Prudence. uh, These are just a few, but honestly, like so many, like so, so many songs. I just, but we've never heard of them as like girl crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Or like losers who are bad at love. It's like, no, it's just, sharing it's just music it's just being creative and speaking with your heart but when taylor does it it's it's an issue so the last thing that we'll touch on is uh this notion that taylor swift is a problem because she's not humble oh 
That's a, so, a real, a I know, real right. woman's supposed to be humble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it sounds a lot like a double standard, and it's the last double standard that we'll discuss. Um, Swiss so lack of humility or genuine humility. So this is also listed as a valid reason to hate her. She's too proud. Eye roll. Yeah. <sighs> Swift is wildly successful, and it's all her own doing. Mostly... You know, outside of having wealthy parents, let's let's make sure we acknowledge that privilege. She did, she did have, have wealthy yes, parents. She did have a good step up. Like yes, yeah. But she does write her songs, right? She she writes the words. She produces her songs. She plays uh, instruments in like many of her songs. So why shouldn't she be proud of that? I'm gonna side note in her documentary. She is talking to the interviewer in her house and she's talking about um, this whole double standard thing, right? And she's like, oh, you know, like, I'm really proud of myself. And then she's like, I'm sorry, I just got like on a soapbox. And then she's like, why am I apologizing? And the interviewer's like, because we've been conditioned to. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. Was I being too loud in my house that I bought with the money from the songs that I wrote about my life? And it's like, exactly. <laughs> like, you have made yourself, like, if we want to talk about like self-made millionaires and stuff, like all of her music, comes from her. Yeah. All of her money comes from her music. Yeah. Like, you can talk about like endorsement and tie-ins, but like that's based on music that she wrote from her brain. So like she's made her money. Mm-hmm. So if anybody wants to be like as loud as they want to, it should be her. Swift now, like she didn't before, but now she's constantly calling out the haters because as in one of her biggest songs, she says, if I was a man, then I'd be the man. It's that I'm the shit energy that is usually loved in men, but hated in women. Mm -hmm. If the size of her well-deserved ego is a reason to hate her, then I guess the haters going to hate, hate, hate. So it kind of feels strange to talk about the impact of someone so young and still like really in the height or like reaching heights in her career. Um, You know, it feels like there's potential to come back to her at some point in the future uh, Mm -hmm. because she's certainly by no means done. Right. Uh, But for now, let's brag on the awards that she's won so far. So the Academy of Country Music Awards has given her eight awards over the years. She has over 30 Billboard Music Awards, and she's also won every BMI Country Music Award that she's been nominated for, which is 23. Wow. She was the CMT Artist of the Year twice and has won eight of their awards and 12 Grammys. She's also the recipient of the Nashville Songwriters Association Songwriter slash Artist of the Year in 2007, becoming the youngest person to be honored with the title. As of November 2023, Swift has broken 111 Guinness World Records. That's wild. She has regained or broken her own records 22 times and 86 records remain unbroken. So here's a few of them. By 2008, she had the most entries in the U.S. top 20 in a year by a solo artist. The most Grammy nominations for Song of the Year. Fastest selling vinyl album. And greatest seismic activity caused by a music concert. Yes, her concerts shake the world and the economy. Here are just a few of the impressive economy effects that we've seen from her tour, according to Inc.com. The Errors Tour is said to have brought in $1 billion for Swift, a record for any tour, and may have boosted the U.S. economy overall by $4.6 billion. In addition to the economic impact, Swift is spreading the wealth by paying out bonuses totaling $55 million to tour employees, including truck drivers. All right. 
In Seattle, which keeps a tab on its seismic activity, fans at her two shows generated the equivalent of a magnitude of a 2.3 earthquake. <laughs> that's scary. I feel like I would have run out of the stadium. Well, especially like, if really you're up in scary. the like nosebleed right? seats. Right? Jesus. <laughs> or maybe they're in Seattle, so they, they probably didn't even feel it. They're just used and to we it. And had an earthquake. We had an earthquake here once, and everyone lost their fucking mind. Well, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was 2010, 2011. I don't remember, but I remember I was working at Barnes & Noble and the girl that I, I was in the cafe and the girl I was working with left. Like she took off her apron and left. And I was just standing there like, the lights are swaying. What is that? Like she bounced. She came back later. She was like, oh, it's fine. And I was just like, you just left me. <laughs> I, was at, I was at the Graduate Center, which is like down by the Empire State Building for people not in mm. New York. And... Um, <laughs> We were just sitting there all talking, whatever, and then it happened, and someone was like, is there a subway under this building? And I'm like, yeah. no, and also we're on, like, the fourth floor, so yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't feel this. Yeah, that, that was the same conversation we had, yeah. and then somebody, like, in the cafe was like, oh, that was an earthquake, right. and we're like, what? And he's like, yeah, I'm from California, that was an earthquake, and it was like, uh, we don't get those, and it's like, I guess we do. Yeah, well, we also had that rainstorm where, like, horseshoe crabs fell from the sky. <laughs> and they didn't really fall from the sky, but they got what? whooshed over from, like, the ocean and stuff, and there were, like, horseshoe crabs in the streets of Brooklyn. I don't remember that. Yeah, that had to be in 2010 or 2011 as well, but anyway, um, so New Zealand wasn't part of the Eras tour, and there were so many fans that wanted to see this. They wanted to fly to Australia to see the concert. So many that Air New Zealand had to add 14 flights. 14 flights. I mean, mm -hmm. they had some fun with it. You know, they named the flight 1989, her birth year, uh, and the name of the album that we talked about earlier. So, you know, there's a little fun with it. But adding 14 flights to get people to go to a concert, that is wild. That's amazing. Financial analysts created the term T-Swift Lift to describe the economic effects cities saw when her tour came to town. Hotels, restaurants, cab drivers all saw a huge pickup in traffic and revenue. And, you know, it's not all about, like, her own personal revenue either, right? So... During the tour, Swift actually donated to food bank units along every stop of the tour. Long before the tour, she was inspiring people. Her former record company head, Scott Brachetta, said that although record industry peers initially disapproved of signing a 15-year-old singer-songwriter, Swift helped him tap into a previously unknown market. That is the teenage girl who listens to country music. Who would have thought teenage girls listen to country music Who would thought and have teenage money girls listen to music <laughs> i mean i feel like any like, like any boy bands could have told you that right? right like it just seems so weird that you were like nah they're not a market that we want to like cater to <sighs> uh paving the way for other female artists like o olivia rodrigo and phoebe bridgers um who have both expressed their thanks for taylor for being their inspiration and on the flip side if you're a Patreon subscriber, you will hear us discussing one of the women that inspired Taylor herself, which was Shania Twain. So literally as we write this, Taylor was just named Time Magazine's 2023 Person of the Year. Yeah, that was, I mean, yeah. I, some of the photos and the stories and all that is really great, but I will say that one photo with the cat is just not right. There's just nothing right. Like it's so photoshopped. It's it's like the arms. She's such a weird. pretty woman, and she 
like they could have found a pose that worked where they didn't need to double the length of her arm. I think it's because of the cat. I mean, then don't use the cat. And no, not in that pose. you have to use the cat. Not in that pose. I don't know. I think just get better Photoshop people because all you really did was just Photoshop the cat's face to make it turn towards the camera. I don't know why they did that to her arms. It is weird. But it's weird because it's like if we notice, why didn't they notice? Oh, they know. Her noticed. arms are super weird. You know, Swift has nearly two decades in the music world and we've just seen the tip of the iceberg so far. So, and honestly, like, I know I can't wait to see who else she inspires and what she does next for herself. So, final thoughts, takeaways. So, I think that Swift is hella inspiring. Um, the only thing that I find repulsive <laughs> about Taylor Swift and it's that level. It's that terrible Welcome to New York song. It's trash and it's unforgivable. Um, and I overreach as someone who is not from New York. Like, I really, I that song, like, and it's the first on that album, so I always have to skip it because I love that album. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, I hate that song so much. Like, you have no right. You have no right. Anyway, that aside, I'm a fan. I'm not a super fan, but I definitely understand how people get there. Like I said before, I was doing, like, all the research and I was looking into like the music videos and there were so many Easter eggs. And I was like, it felt like there's a definite Venn diagram over like Marvel dudes and Taylor Swift fans where you can just like watch something and pull out everything. Because apparently in all her videos, there are little Easter eggs to like things in her life. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really amazing. And it's just like there's she's so creative on so many levels. And I'm like, there would be more fans there if you let yourself experience it in that way. Like... Just let it let her take over. Like <laughs> she's very relatable. There's gonna be stuff like I I was really jamming out the other day to um the first song that I think really got me was um I Knew You Were Trouble. And like I was dealing with someone at the time who was like, Oh my god, did I write the song about this person? And Taylor knows somehow. Like she's very, very relatable. Mm -hmm. So I get why people are such like huge stands of her. And I get it. And I can't wait to see what she what she does because she's 33. So like she could go on for many, many more years, like live a whole different life and then have different experiences to write about. So I'm like really excited to see what she does next. Yeah. Well, I mean, longtime listeners will know that I'm not a big music person in general. So like I've never had any dislike for Taylor Swift, but I've also never listened to a full album. I think Sean has probably listened to more of a Taylor Swift album in complete start to finish than I have. I just, I don't engage with music that way, right? Um, but I, I do, I have so much respect for her and the way she goes about her business. And I can definitely sing along to some of her most popular songs on the radio. But no, seriously, like her dealings with Spotify and Apple and like the re-recording of her, of her songs to make her own version like that's boss level so if you want more resources and references um here are some to learn more about taylor this is why you hate taylor swift thoughts on women who have ego by christina lane breaking down the many easter eggs in taylor swift's look what you made me do by Alyssa bailey miss americana it's a 2020 documentary directed by lana wilson it's streaming on netflix the December issue of Time Magazine, she's on the cover as Person of the Year with her cat and her weird Photoshopped arms. <laughs> but that doesn't take away from the content of the oh, articles. No. 
The article seems really good. I've seen, I've read snippets. It seems really good. So I think I'm gonna pick one up. There's taken on C- the taken on Taylor Swift by CNN, which is on HBO Max. And then the Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, directed by Sam Wrench. It's currently in theaters. I do wonder when it's gonna come to streaming. Maybe I'll have a little a little Taylor party. There you go. So let us know what you thought of this episode. Do you have anything to add to the conversation that we might have left out? Or do you have suggestions for when we should cover in the future? Follow the podcast on Twitter and Blue Sky at Big Rep Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Big Reputations Pod. Send us a message or email us at BigReputationsPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, or your fellow Swifties. Subscribe and leave a five-star review. Check out our Big Reputations merch. The link is in the show notes as well as in our Linktree link found on all our social media platforms. Be sure to take a picture and tag us when you make a purchase. And remember, we have a Patreon now, patreon.com slash bigreputations, or just check out the link in our Linktree. Whether you pledge 2 or $5, you will get a shout out in our episodes. And speaking of shout outs, we have a new Patreon member. We'd like to welcome Michael A. Get ready for the craziest ride of your life with our little reps. They're going to be so cool. You're going to love it. Thanks for joining. Thanks for being a little math scientist. Yes, we're happy to have you here. Welcome. And um, we did a little shout out on on the Patreon. I said, hey, you know, everybody say hello to our new subscribers. So thanks for joining and um, check out those posts. If you do choose the $5 level, you have exclusive access to these little reputations episodes that Kim just mentioned, right? These are short mini episodes about amazing women throughout history. And next up, we're going to be talking about Shania Twain. Stick around after the episode where we'll share a teaser from that little rep episode. All right, let's wrap this up. Kim, what quote do you have for us this time? So I have a quote from the person of the year themselves, Taylor. I want to love glitter and also stand up for the double standard that exists in our society. I want to wear pink and tell you how I feel about politics. I don't think that those two things have to cancel each other out. Agreed. Agreed. And as always, believe women. the first non-citizen to win a CMA award, which I feel is very progressive of the CMAs because they don't <laughs> like anyone who's not like from the South. Well, her brother's like, name was Daryl, so it was okay. <laughs> they were like, they looked at her on paper and they were like, you seem American as fuck to me. Let's do it. Let's go. So she also received, yeah, they were like, let's go girls. <laughs> and they brought out her trophy. <laughs> Just guys in suits and cowboy hats.